Hey, everybody out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes into all the people, places, concepts, and things from that galaxy far, far away. I'm joining you as one of your hosts. My name is Mac, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ross. Mac, it is great to be here, but it is especially great to be here tonight because we have a guest. We and do. that guest is none other than John Shanahan. John, welcome to Star Wars All In. We know you are so thrilled to be here, right? Yeah. You yeah. say it with a with a tone a that disdain. indicates that I might not be thrilled. No, be no, no, not at all. I'm sorry that it came across that way. I just wanted you to take that energy and run with it. Oh, <laughs> oh, I can run with it. We're talking about tonight. We're talking about capes, which mm-hmm. is related to the thing that I spend my entire life doing. Which I run a YouTube channel around fashion and style called The Cavalier, spelled with a K. Mm. On YouTube, you can check it out. And uh, we talked very early. I think when you were still in the incubation phase of the podcast, you were like, yeah. you're going to come talk about capes. And I was like, listen, I will come talk about capes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I knew for a while this is the topic I wanted to have you on for. We, we've talked a little about what we could talk about. We talked about possibly doing despecialized films. We talked about uh, style and how we could possibly break that down and uh, fit it into a single topic. Yeah. And now here we are. We decided uh, that Capes was a great place to start for your first appearance on this show. Now, you mentioned that uh, you know you, you have your own YouTube channel, The Cavalier, that you run, and obviously that's centered around fashion. When it comes to Star Wars, not only are we going to talk about Star Wars fashion, but we want to talk about why you're passionate around Star Wars, how you came into it, how you found it, how you've been bringing the next generation of fans to Star Wars. So tell us a little bit first off of how you got introduced to Star Wars personally. Star Wars has just been a constant in my life. I think like most of us that grew up in the golden era where Mm -hmm. there was Star Wars in the world because like our parents were older when it came out, you know? Yeah. And uh, what I'll never forget. So like I definitely saw Return of the Jedi a lot. I think that that seemed to be the one that was on TV a lot. Was Return of the Jedi. It's like if it was I know on, Max was it, theory. Was for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like if there was a network that was playing a Star Wars movie, it was probably Return of the Jedi. So, mm-hmm. like some of my earliest memories about seeing anything on TV was the 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 battle over the Sarlacc pit. Like, oh, okay. I can I can distinctly remember that being on TV <laughs> a lot. It and was so, beakless at the time. The Sarlacc pit. Exactly. That you saw right? Yeah. It was yeah. despecialized. Yeah. <laughs> it was the early natural on. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way that a time capsule is and so yeah, yeah I, I can definitely remember that and then i had a few friends growing up where they were very star wars obsessed and so i was always around like the toys and lightsabers and the films and there was definitely there were I, i'm definitely more of a recent uh like deep fan of it but it but i've always been around it like i can remember you know maybe 15 years ago it's weird now to think I can have memories of 15 years ago because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't feel that old. Yeah. Uh, but like yeah, maybe 15 years ago, I probably couldn't have told you what scene, which movie uh, Yoda dies in. Like that, that's where I was. Like I knew sure, Yoda yeah. died. I knew all the story concepts. But like now, I can tell you, probably tell you at the timestamp because I've watched it so many times <laughs> with my kids. And so, uh, what I'll never forget though, related to Star Wars, is. Right when we started working at, uh, when we started working together, I was talking to somebody in the store, and I and Mac walked by us, and I, remember, I was telling the person because one of my one of my <laughs> earliest film memories was going to see the Phantom Menace with my grandpa, okay. and in '99, and um, I remember telling somebody in the store, 
uh, I said, oh, you know, The Phantom Menace is my favorite one. And I'll never – it's burned into my memory the way that Mac turned around, looked at me stunned, <laughs> shocked, in awe as, <laughs> as a – there, he had walked through a door and the door was closing. And I remember he just like completely stopped in his tracks, looked at me, and I turned around and looked at him. And I could like feel the intense emotion that he was feeling around my statement. And then the door closed, and I, like that was it. And it was uh, it was like weird because it was such a moment in time. It was just like this odd thing. But I always remember the way that he looked at me when I said that. And I, and it was not long after that moment that I was introduced to Mr. Plinkett and the, mm-hmm. the Phantom Menace review. And then I was like, oh yeah, the it's infamous like Qui Gon Jinn. Like I couldn't tell you a single character trait about him because he's not a very developed. Like there's yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of truth. I mean, all of it uh, is very true in the Plinkett stuff, and it's very fascinating. But yeah, there is a lot of truth to it. But I mean, it is definitely through a cynical eye because there's plenty of great cinema that also has the problem of name something about them outside of their occupation ah uh. <laughs> yeah yeah no it's and so you know and then it was you know I, I probably ramped up most because i followed the industry so much that once the disney acquisition happened i was like oh yeah star wars like mm-hmm. let's get into that but then there was also uh, i think it was that period of time where they did the blu-ray releases of the yeah. original trilogy so that got me more into it and it was you know it was very much the way that ross got back into it a little bit after you know through college and after college it was like mm-hmm. i kind of picked up it, we were we were both in parallel mm-hmm. within that space yeah. and then we came really it, back into it's it it's kind of funny cuz when we met we, we were what 18 so mm-hmm. at the time that was for me from like ages like 16 17 till about 20 21 22 was probably my lowest point of star wars fandom not that i wasn't still watching Star Wars or reading Star Wars or enjoying Star Wars, but I wasn't actively collecting. Mm-hmm. I wasn't actively like watching the Clone Wars, for example, you know. So beyond playing the movies a couple times a year and reading maybe a novel or two, that was about it. And when we met, I had no idea you were a Star Wars fan. Like mm-hmm. it never really came up. We never really talked about it. And it wasn't until later that we really began to discuss it and we discovered how important it was to both of our development. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's because at that time you were collecting vintage Motley Crue records and there was no time for Star Wars. <laughs> That's true. It was a very different time in my life, really, when you look back on it. Um, it's funny because, you know, we had a roommate who was, you know, I- into Star Wars as well. And remember, he got into collecting vintage stuff mm-hmm. and he had a little shelf of some vintage figures uh, in his room where we all lived. And that kind of reminded me of what it was like to be a kid and to have some of that stuff. And I definitely remember being like, huh, you know, I wonder what Star Wars is like at the store now. And then it was like the year we finished college, I remember I went out to a Target and that was when the Black Series had just come out. That line just started. I'm like, this is the perfect thing for someone who has money and no real responsibility. (laughs) And that's kind of what really got me back into that side of it, which, I mean, then it was just a downhill ramp, a slalom from there after the Disney stuff. But yeah. Yeah, it's funny because Star Wars can come and go in your life, but Mm -hmm. it can still uh, affect you greatly, even if it's not around all the time. Yeah. And so we'll talk about, you know, we'll have a whole section on Star Wars dad stuff, but now it's it's a very important thing. uh, And just like in daily life, my son wears Star Wars jammies every (laughs) single day, literally every single day. He has five different Star Wars jammies that he rotates between, and and it's a a very important thing. But, you know, we got the books and everything, and... uh, you know, just the way that the the whole 
galaxy is expanding and uh you know new stories and new formats the way that the games have really mm-hmm. like the games yeah. were always pretty good but it seems like they now are 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 really like moving forward with with great stuff and they, had, so. they found good footing finally mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. every every the thing about star wars and its whole diverse array of content is that it's all designed for someone yeah it's all designed to appeal to a certain audience and or a certain type of connoisseur so uh, a consumer um so if you like fallen order right the newest most recent Star Wars video game. Have you played it at all, John? No, I just, uh, no I've sworn off video games recently. Okay. So if you if you play <laughs> Fallen Order, right, that is a game that is very much a Force story. And if you're not yeah. interested as much in the Force, it might not be a game you love. But it's a game that I sure loved because it's very Me much too. about the yeah. Jedi and the Clone Wars and um, PTSD and, and, and all of these interesting things that are very much that prequel and then original trilogy era. And... Uh, for some people, that might not be their cup of tea. They might still be playing the multiplayer on Battlefront, where I have only touched it recently because of this show. <laughs> Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have downloaded any of the patches. So as we get more and more variety and as new generations come into this, it's great to have that uh, that diverse set of merchandise and material to, to draw from. And what a time to be alive that you can go to a place where you can walk through a full scale real life yes. Millennium Falcon. Like that's yes. that's what I get excited about too is yes. just that opportunity. So in a couple years you'll be taking your son to Batu and then eventually a Star Wars celebration and then eventually we can all go to Rancho Obi Wan together. There we go. I mean A-A-A. Yeah, we're on our way. Okay, great. All right. So, well, I tell you, I think we've we've teased enough about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> Let's break it out. We are going to go through three topics tonight. We are going to talk about fan films. We're going to discuss some of the fan-made films of Star Wars. We're going to start off with that, probably talk about that for, I don't know, like half an hour or so. And then we're going to talk about capes, and we're going to talk about that for about a half an hour. And, and if that doesn't sound interesting to you, I promise it will be. John Do not has done, miss out on the cape topic. John has done so much research. I am I'm going to be I can't wait to learn about more about capes. Capes, cowls and cloaks. That's what you got coming up. <sighs> and we're going to learn all the differences of those. I you hope, do right? not want to miss I can't this. wait to figure that out. <laughs> and then we're going to wrap up because as John's mentioned, he's a Star Wars dad, so we're going to learn what that life is like and, and spend, a, you know, about a half of an hour there, too, probably. All right. Nice, evenly spread out topics tonight, hopefully. That's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> All right. And I hope you're going to enjoy it because you're going to hear it right after this.
Mac, what would make someone want to take their own time, their own energy, their own money, their own sweat and tears, and make a Star Wars fan film? Well, I, I think it, it rarely has to do with money. It's usually a, a form of insanity. Okay, okay. So would it be easier if we just did a Star Wars podcast instead? That would be cheaper, right? I think so. As yeah. someone who's done that filmmaking and podcasting, podcast is a lot easier to do. Okay, so maybe that's the route we should go. Let's talk about some people who didn't go that route. Let's talk about some Star Wars fan films. Okay. So today we have John with us, and John is passionate about Star Wars fan films. He brought this topic to our attention, and so mm -hmm. he uh, decided to pick out what we were going to be watching, and Mac and I have watched them both. John, I know you have as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to talk about Star Wars fan films. Well, it's a holistic topic, I think, because it's... It's almost like a snake eating its tail. Like J.J. Abrams directing a Star Wars movie today is the ultimate fan film because there's an entire generation of filmmakers that were catalyzed by the original Star Wars movie because they saw something that they had never seen before and it inspired them to go into that world. And that's who you had working on the prequel trilogy in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And then... That what I love about this, and we're going to talk about Troopers. Troopers is one of the first ones we're going to talk about. Okay, yeah. But that was the original viral video before there were viral videos. That's the kind <laughs> of video that moved around either on a floppy disk or on a CD to other Star Wars fans saying, look at this amazing thing that somebody made and then spread it through the sneaker net at that time and because on top of that it's like this it's like this whole like uh, it's like turtles all the way down because the original people that fell in love with Star Wars became the original nerds or the original geeks and those people are the ones that were early on the internet they're also the people that would have had a VCR recording device which is what Troopers was made on it was made on like a DV tape yeah. in the late 90s and so they're the ones that had the creativity or the ability to shoot it then to get it in a format that you can share on the computer and then it shared around and so like when youtube came around it was a natural fit for it and then hmm. that has now spawned an entire generation of not just star wars fans that are excited about the movies but then also people that want to create their own star wars movies in the fan films oh yeah you just flash back i remember having my like iomega zip discs and having some things like troopers and some other ones that were floating around and good old like real media player formats and stuff like that yeah, it was um, it was it was kind of wild because, again, it was it was as close as we got to new Star Wars because we were on the precipice of like, you know, we got some special edition stuff was coming out and, you know, we knew episode one was coming out. But like we were all so hungry for new Star Wars and suddenly like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 we, we can make it. Wait, if you live in Arizona, you look like Tatooine and you can make a movie. This is awesome. It shows the creativity of fans, as John was saying. I mean. It's something that you have this idea to take something that's so culturally relevant at the time and something that is now on the backswing where it had its, you know, giant momentum, momentous couple of years in the sun. And then it kind of disappeared for a little bit. And now it's coming back and making the two uh, merge like that in such a funny and kind of ingenious way. I mean, not only does it fit together so well, but it's just this one little clip. I mean, you know, it's what, maybe 10 minutes total. And in that 10 minutes, I mean, you can tell how hard it would have been to make, especially in that time, you know, considering mm -hmm. trying to make it now. But not only that, you have 
obvious love and passion for not only Star Wars, but for parody, which oh, yeah. in itself is best when it comes from fans because it's made out of love, not out of jest or hate. Yeah, and that was also the time, like, I think every Star Wars fan of our age and above has the memory of trying to download the Phantom Menace trailer and (laughs) waiting for 12 to 18 hours on a dial-up modem and just, like, buffering, waiting, waiting. That's when Troopers really spread is when you had to wait on Real Media Player for this thing to take forever because you wanted the 480 copy, not the 360. I wanted the real, the good one. exactly. (laughs) The higher quality one. Soaking all those details. Exactly. And so that's uh, when troopers spread and you can see it and it's, that's what's it's such like an artifact or like a time capsule today to go to see yeah. it now because it was shot on such, you know, probably the best stuff they could afford at the time. And then that's why, you know, we have a couple others that we're going to talk about that are look incredible today because just the consumer tech has gone so far. Yeah. But back then you were shooting on little DV tapes. Oh, yeah. And, and you had many DV. So uh, I think I've mentioned this before. So my background's film. I, I went to film school and all that kind of stuff. And I remember we. In summer of 2003, I made my own Star Wars fan film, which didn't, didn't end up going anywhere. But, yeah, I remember we filmed on DV tapes, and then you have to log all those tapes, and you had to, like, when you pulled them into the computer, you had to play them in real time, because there was no way to, like, just, you know, copy the files, because the files were on a tape. And, like, the restrictions they had were liberating at the time, but seemed so primitive by today's standards. Well, let's talk about this film, huh? Let's talk about Troopers. So... It really only has two set pieces. It opens <laughs> up and you have uh, basically a monologue from a trooper uh, talking about life on tattooing, you know, working in a small town. And basically it comes in that uh, they think some Jawas have some stolen droids. And so we basically open up here with uh, a cop style interrogation of a couple of Jawas. Uh, so I got to watch this earlier today. Did you guys have a chance to watch it recently? I did watch it relatively recently. Yeah. Yeah. So I had only seen this a couple of times before this, maybe a half dozen times or so. So it's not something I, uh, you know, I didn't find it as early as both of you guys have memories of it for sure. I uh, was not uh, nearly into the uh, internet or the technology uh, culture that would have been around at the time this was coming out. Yeah, Ross, but, Ross is a recent nerd. Yeah, <laughs> a recent geek. Especially yeah. with stuff I wouldn't have known how to even get on the internet in uh, 1999 to download a trailer, that's for sure. Uh, I would have been at Meet Joe Black, you know, seeing, getting that trailer in the theater mm-hmm. with everybody else. Um, I, you know, it opens up here with some really good comedy, some really... Uh, some really engaging stuff because even like I I've maybe seen a couple of episodes of cops, uh, in my entire life, but you can just get, you get that feeling right away, obviously of what they're trying to ape. And it's really, really good. Yeah. It's a perfect like skewering or recreation of the cops format, but with every love and detail and attention to star Wars. And that's, mm-hmm. I remember being struck by that. I remember thinking to myself, like, I could get a stormtrooper costume that looks like that. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Like that. I remember being deep in rabbit holes of like, okay, I can, I can custom mold the plaster this way so that I can get the right, like shield, like armor. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like I'll, I'll always remember being struck by that. It's like, yes, it was cool <laughs> that I could see that, but it was seeing stormtroopers outside of the, the way that we were always presented in Star Wars, which is like, you know, these guys that can't really shoot straight. <laughs> was yeah it was just so fascinating again that the idea of like wait 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 we we can make star wars wait wait we can make armor we can make we can make all this stuff it was this 
unlock and you can see i don't know if you can say troops started it but like the 501st the the um charity that's all about people dressing up in imperial uniforms like you can kind of trace it back to this because this is when the internet said wait if we can do that how do we do that and then you get things like the prop like replica forum and and people starting to share their techniques and all this stuff and suddenly the world keeps getting more and more stormtrooper armor as time goes on <laughs> um and it's also it's 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 a wonderfully subvertive film because you have Fox's famous cop show, which was, you know, a pitch high pitch at the time. I mean, you know, from the late 80s all the way through the 90s, cops was always on on Fox at some point in the day. And it was all these, you know, quote unquote, real stories of these kind of extreme like, you know, police officers trying to, you know, quell all this stuff. And then you just add this whole like wonderful thing of like yeah someone would have to investigate those jawas who sold those illegal droids you know what if the lars did call the cops what would that look like and it's the stormtroopers coming by and like is this a domestic abuse like what's what's going on here let, let her tell her story you, you can be quiet for a moment like it's fun to put a mundane twist on this fantastic franchise what I'm also connecting just now as we're talking about this, the only time this really happens in the Star Wars universe now is is what just happened in The Mandalorian. When yes. the scout troopers are like waiting to see what to do with Baby Yoda. <laughs> yes. And he's like, wait, open open the thing. I want to see it again. And he's like, don't, no, no, And like, that's the only time we really see it in oh. the Star Wars universe now. You know what? You're absolutely right. That that scene where, the, that scene and the one part where he's, he's like, Hey, um, do we have an update on our on our orders? Right. No, Darth <laughs> Moff Gideon just killed a guy, so it's gonna be a while. It's like that is straight out of this this fan film, and I'm sure at some level it's got to be a homage to it. I mean, they, oh, you know, well, they know of, that it exists. It's it, well, this like is something said, that everyone knew about at one point. Like if I knew about it without having access to the internet, <laughs> you know, like in the uh, early 2000s, I think was the first time I had heard about it. I don't remember the first time I even saw it, but I mean, this was something that everybody was familiar with. I mean, I know it's been featured in other Star Wars documentaries since people have talked about it. it you know, it is widely regarded as one of the most well-known parodies. And we here we have this great moment where the stormtroopers are uh, basically taking out these Jawas and then they just kind of cover up the camera and it cuts to another scene of them being like, well, unfortunately it got violent there. And then a time fighter <laughs> just comes in and bobs the sand crawler. It's, like, it's, it, it's just, the timing of it is perfect. I mean, it's just, it's so good. And then when you finally get to the Lars homestead, they're blurring out the faces. <laughs> yeah that's straight like, out of cops that and, kind of yep, detail yep. is just i mean it's what makes it such a good parody at least and even that like the comedy has aged that well over 20 years yeah it's like yeah. it's still it's still pretty sharp it's for, still, for being that old it still plays <laughs> and another thing is you you see something that we now see like again you know uh things imitating is like they realize like okay well the people in the suits don't have mouths so we can hire impressive talent to do the actual voices because um, most of the voices are are professional voice actors. So you have like Cam Clark, who's been in, in a zillion different things, probably most famously like um, Leonardo from the original run of the Ninja Turtles. He was also Solid Snake in the Metal Gear like um, video games. You have Bill Farmer, who's the voice of Goofy and has been since the late 80s. He plays one of the Stormtroopers. And there's also uh, Jess Arnell, who is uh, the voice of Wacko from the Animaniacs. And these are all, as far as I could tell, kind of like, the filmmaker um, just calling and saying, hey, 
if I sent a tape to you, could you help me out? <laughs> and just like, as far as I know, it's just like, oh yeah, no, sure. Like, yeah, we'll film, film that. And like, and just thinking about where some of those people were at their careers at the time and where they are now, it's kind of like, it was like Twitter before Twitter where like someone reached out to these famous people and said, yeah, sure. That sounds fine. I'll do that. <laughs> Wait, I can talk to them like normal people and they'll help me out. This is wild. <laughs> yeah. It was a special, special moment in time. Should we talk about the second choice? Yeah, yeah. So, Darth Maul, right? Colin Apprentice. Colin Apprentice. (laughs) Now, this is one I had seen before you gave us our list of topics as well, just like Troopers. So, the only one I hadn't seen is the one we'll talk about after this. But Darth Maul is the one I had a much better memory of. Um, I I think it just literally came across it one day searching for YouTube Mm -hmm. uh, through YouTube maybe three or four years ago, so relatively recently. But this one, when we talk about from a production standpoint, is an incredible leap and jump you know, from Troopers, I mean, what, 15 years later, give yeah. or take, that it was made? Sounds about right. Uh, so we've had a lot of changes. And now this one, instead of being about the uh, law enforcement side of the galaxy, is about the peacekeeping side of the galaxy, the Jedi mm. versus the Sith. And uh, we see a story that, I mean, I would presume takes place shortly before The Phantom Menace. Is that kind of your read on it as well? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of like, they imply it's kind of like his final trial before he's ready to kind of like come away from training and join his master. Yeah, his side. his side of kind of the Jedi trials where now you're, you know, you're basically ready to go. You're ready to kill Jedi for real now. <laughs> That's basically what this comes down to. So we have Darth Maul uh, kind of isolated alone in a command center. And we learn that Palpatine has lured a couple, about five Jedi uh, to him to, uh, well, six, I think total uh, to, uh, well, see what he's made of as we later learn out. And essentially what we have is like a 15 minute, clip of uh maul just going to town on some jedi so what did you guys <laughs> think of this one well i wanted to pick this so i had troopers which is like the, the og and the original and and very you could tell it's very low budget this one was like people took a lot of time and energy and thought and production mm-hmm. and they like this one you if you slot this into a regular star wars movie you could almost get away with saying like this is a full-on production this is far yeah. and away the closest for sure this one feels the most like a star wars movie the sound effects the lightsaber design the choreography is all great and some of the choices they make of like when to cut away to kind of hide some of the violence and savageness of it i think also feels very star wars in a way mm-hmm. uh it really is i mean i i love it i think it's I think it's incredible. And it's the one that the thing I like about it is because it's just this little segment of time compared to the one we'll talk about next, which is a whole story. You don't ever get that moment to kind of stop and say like, Oh, this is a fan film. Like you're just in it from beginning to end because it just looks so good. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that this is the highest viewed uh, fan film on YouTube is the Darth Maul apprentice one. Yeah, I think in my research I found that too. It's up over a couple tens of millions of views, which is wild. Especially Troopers, in Troopers might have the 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 total lifespan views because it's been so long and it's only been on YouTube for so long. <laughs> we but don't Darth have, Maul in three years has has the most. Yeah, we don't have the analytics for what real media player views count as in today's uh, market. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing you were saying that's really impressive about Darth Maul Apprentice is such an attention to to detail and and to be blunt a specific drive to make it not look like a fan film some of the things they do that are really clever is one of the things that most fan films have is you film 
where fans have access to, so deserts and forests, and they found some pretty exotic looking locations that give it that otherworldliness we attach with Star Wars. Their costume design and fight choreography are on the level of a production film. And I think the thing that really seals this is the the main actor like channels Ray Park's kind of wily grins and smiles and grimaces and his body language that he invoked in the character of Darth Maul. That this feels like Darth Maul. There's like there's no feeling of like, oh, that's a good interpretation, or I like what he did. Like it just feels like episode one Darth Maul stepped off into this German production and just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I I couldn't agree more. I mean, you if if no one told you, if someone just showed you that clip you might think it was Ray Park. You might think it was official Star Wars content. Like I, I think if we like if we showed that to your son John, oh my, he, he wouldn't. He would be like, oh okay, yeah. it's Star Wars, right? Yeah. It would be Star Wars to him. Uh, I I had a ton of fun watching it today. I had a ton of fun the first time I saw it. Uh, this is the one out of all of these that if if you're looking for a fan film to watch, this is the one. Search Darth Maul Apprentice. It really is something, and it's I want to reiterate reiterate again. I think the exact right amount of time for something I want to sit down and watch on YouTube for a fan-made project. I really, really like the pacing of it. And it's the only, I think, one of these where you go, oh, man, this is pretty good for a fan film. No, this is just pretty good, period. End of of story. Yes, you you (laughs) absolutely can leave off the for a fan film part of this. Um, I, I just, I want some of these characters to be real. I want them to be real Star Wars characters. I want them to be in canon. Like, that's how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, there's a fun feeling of like after reading like Darth Maul Shadowhunter and stuff, which was original legacy, like yeah. prequel stuff. Like this feels like it fits in. They read mm-hmm. that. And it feels mm-hmm. like, yeah, Darth Maul had to be doing a lot of training, doing something before he just got, you know, put in the on deck circle of like, oh, go kill Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn and this uh, queen. Like he had to have killed a lot of people before that, you know, just to test him out. Job interview process and all. <laughs> so now, wait a minute. Did you just sandbag? Uh, that comment where you said it was the exact length of something you want to watch on YouTube as a as a slight <laughs> against the third choice in well in the okay not so oh. much a slight but all right let's talk about our third anybody else have anything else to say about Darth Maul we no, feel I good think, on that one I think that was a perfect okay. segue all right so with this third one here uh, this is the one I had never heard of before I I had no idea until I watched it uh, to prepare for this what it was going to be like. So this one is called what a light in the darkness. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is a 32 minute project that, uh, has some really, really awesome things going for it. First and foremost, it is a full story. It's yes. a full story arc. And as you learn at the end, uh, I won't give away any major spoilers. Cause I think this one is really cool to go and see too, but it, it is very much a origin story, which is really, really cool. Uh, and, there's a lot to unpack in it. It definitely doesn't look as good as Darth Maul. It uh, has, you know, some some moments where where it's where I think you can see the seams. But yeah, it does some really great stuff, and they do spend a lot of time developing characters. Yes, which none of the other ones do. To be fair, I mean, I guess Troopers does, but that's not what it's about. And Darth Maul is very much about yeah, it's a, the action. It's a different kind of of character building. It's building humor. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this one is really about our our two lead characters here. Basically, uh, the setup for it is uh, it happens. It starts during the Clone Wars, and it's about a villager and a, a in particular little boy who kind of idolizes this Jedi who's there fighting the Clone Wars, and then. 
he sees him get massacred in Order 66, and he takes his lightsaber, and over the next, I don't know, I figure what they say, like 15 years or whatever it is, he uh, tries to rebuild it and tries to use it to restore hope to his little planet, his little town. Uh, and this one does some really interesting things. John, why did you pick this one? I wanted a good representation of these three to say, like, here's one that is a Star Wars uh fan film but also is tied to something else in our world and then i wanted the you know darth maul is the high production one like really deep in there and then a light in the darkness is typically regarded as one of the best like pure fan film type Mm -hmm. of type of experiences because it has this beginning and end it has this full story that wanted to tell inside of the universe in a way that there's a lot of others that try it but don't succeed and so you know, the light in the darkness is probably the best execution of an original story told in a certain way to mm-hmm. slot within yeah. the the Star Wars world. Whereas uh, there's a lot of other, I I think I have a playlist on YouTube of like 15 of them that are mm-hmm. they're good and it's it's like anybody who's putting great uh, creativity into the world is to be recommended. But I think a light in the darkness is the one that does take that the furthest step out of all of these. Mac, what did you think of it? Well, I think the thing that's interesting is like we've been talking about, it's a fully fleshed out story. That's its most impressive trait. Yeah. Um, I think uh, when I think of again fan films, I think one of the, one of the things you see that's interesting about this is it's a it's a very big and diverse cast. There's entire sequences where they're in like city squares and stuff, believably, which is something usually. Mm-hmm it's hard to get fan films together. You can imagine a lot of friends, family, uncles, brothers, sisters, former roommates. There were signs at the community center to make some of these shot work. And all of them are costumed too. Like it's, it's very believable. Like the opening scene where um, the Jedi master gets um, order 66 feels <laughs> really visceral. Like it's happening in this town square, which is impressive because I think this film's biggest trick. And unfortunately it's, its biggest thing that's nine years has not been kind to it since it was released in 2011 is its use of a lot of digital scene extensions and a lot of digital sets. Um, They did a lot to try and build the little world that they were creating and they needed to blow it out more than, you know, not so much budget, but logistics, you know, they couldn't go, you know, film in Ireland or, or find some interesting place to film. They had to film around where they had, um, and it kind of makes sense that they were able to get away with it with consumer tech at the time because the director of this was is a professional cameraman. He's a camera operator, and so you can kind of tell he knew where to put it. And the um, other like hunk of dynamite to their um, production was a concept artist and writer. So they conceived something really big, and they did a really good job with the technology they had and the ability they had to realize that. And I think that's why it's so impressive. But in a kind of charming way, it has some rough edges. This isn't like Darth Maul where like, oh, that just stepped out of the back lot of Lucasfilm. Like, no, no, you can tell this is a fan film. And they're very, um, I guess, uh, very nobly punching above their weight. They're doing more than they probably should have tried to. But it's, it's a real earnest effort. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you said it was about nine years old? Yeah, it came out, I think, in 2011, 2012, thereabout. I am really surprised how good it looks considering its age. It it felt like they were doing things that I wouldn't have expected to see. I I mean, in a fan film now, but nine years ago even still. Uh, 
I really, really thought it was great. There was a Magna Guard staff in there. Yeah. I mean, that was a pretty, that was a pretty rad, rad surprise at the end, right? That's what's great about all the fan films is for somebody to spend like hundreds and hundreds of hours on these things, you know <laughs> that they know the universe as well as other yes. listeners of the podcast. Oh, like they yeah. know intricate details about the weapons that are used, armor, ev- like everything in yeah. there. And so they're going to use, they're going to sprinkle it in where they can for the other people that are obviously going to watch yeah. it. I really, really did enjoy it. I think I would like to watch it in a couple of parts rather than like three 10 minute chunks rather than sitting huh. down and watching it straight through. Uh, but I really, really liked it a lot. I think a lot of that just comes back to my struggles to sit down and watch long form YouTube content. Say, like, how long is it? It's like 30 it's like, minutes. 30, yeah, 30, 30 minutes. minutes. Yeah. You want okay. a Quibi style. I don't know what you, that means. <laughs> you want snackable media. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When, when I'm watching something on a computer screen like that, like, there's just stuff that, like, I don't know. So basically, just, you would have preferred I, it in, let's say, like, three 10-minute chunks or I would, in... I definitely would have liked to consume it a little better. Don't get me wrong. I really liked it, but I just... Watching things that long, I, I just prefer the shorter stuff when it comes to stuff like this. Sure. So we have a couple of other much shorter ones we want to mention here at the end. Yeah, we got snackable ones. We got snackable, honorable <laughs> yeah. mentions. But I wanted to include... <laughs> SC-38 Reimagined, because that, in the way that Darth Maul is very much like straight out of a movie, SC-38 mm-hmm. Reimagined is very close to that, too. Yeah. They wanted to recreate the scene between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader right before, right when they battle on yeah. the Death Star as they're helping the Millennium Falcon escape. And they go so far as to put Alec Guinness CGI face onto <laughs> another actor, and they just, they, they want the fight that that was deserved to be given the history of the two characters that you don't get in a new hope in the original star Wars movie. And I think it's just, it's, it's, it's explicitly done in such a really cool way. And I think there are probably people that have a version on their media server where they splice that copy in just because it like it looks so close and looks (laughs) so cool. The super special edition. So that was one of my favorite things about it was that it was just, not only did they make something that looked great and felt great and sounded great and just felt like part of that movie, but they also cut it in perfectly with the dialogue from the film and the other scenes with the other actors and characters from the film. So as you're watching this short clip, it literally is just a part of that movie other than that little bit of kind of voiceover composition at the beginning that kind of sets the scene for everything Mm -hmm. leading up to that that we don't see. But it really is not only incredibly well done it really apes the style of what we see in, of some of vader and in, in rebels yeah you know the way he moves in animation you you see a lot of that here uh and this is one that absolutely is i think also well worth seeking out i mean all of these are all of these are well worth yeah. watching if you're listening to this and you're a star wars fan but uh this one is newer than the rest right this is the newest out yeah. of the bunch this is yeah. the one i remember seeing the most recently for the first time this is the newest on the list but i actually came across an obi-wan one that came out very recently that i hadn't seen and i came across another one i have a, a youtube playlist of them but i should also specify that i was ready to do a whole hour and a half long podcast about the despecialized <laughs> editions of yeah. star wars because that is a that is like as we talk about these, that is my deep uh, love. And one of the things that I really like about this universe are those versions. But SC-38 is just a really, it's like, the it's well, the opposite of that. It's like, there are people the trying enhanced. to preserve the most pure form of the original yeah. Star Wars. And then there's yeah. people that are like, look, this battle could have been, should have been way more emotional, way more intense. Yeah. Here's, well, uh, here's what we think it could have been. It's fun seeing people remix ideas. Because um, 
Scene 38 reminds me of a trend of, I remember losing like an entire month to a YouTube trend, which was watching modern trailers yes. for older films. Oh, yeah. And so they take something like, say, the original Rocky, and then they cut it like we would cut a trailer for today. They give you is, the like Yeah, you get the transformer <laughs> sounds, the like the inception sounds. You also have the single piano key played themes. Like you find out a how much of a formula that is now. But it's also reminding you of like, you no, know, great stories are great no matter which context you look them in. And so like the scene thirty eight remake is interesting because while you know, if you just plunked it in, it wouldn't feel exactly right because it's using different music cues and the intensity of the battle is so inspired by like, hey, look, I just watched episode three and I saw that volcano fight. Their, their fight would not be as lame as it was if we knew that was coming down. Um, and there's something about, again, revitalizing and remixing these films so that like, hey, you know, if you're a younger viewer and you're like, oh, the movie's like 70s year old. My, my dad loves it. I like I mean, I guess I like it. Something like this reminds you of like, oh, that's what you guys had in your head in the 70s. This is rad. <laughs> you know, there's there's something interesting about that. And the despecialization, like you said, is maybe actually the most exhaustive fan film yes. because while they didn't make anything, they collected sources from all all over the world to get the best copies of everything. And there are, there are composite shots in that are more complex than most Hollywood movies to make all these pieces from different film gel together, all in an effort to make it look like a brand new work print from 77, which is like a strange, weird, noble goal. Yeah. And Darth Vader gets on fire in it. Yes. So, I mean, it also yes. has that. I just want to say there's nothing like a battle damage Vader. And I like seeing to, some to really saber tosses, going. some push force pushes, some of that later <laughs> force effects in it. It's, yeah. Oh, it's good. just the way that he force grabs his lightsaber. Like, I don't yes. know that there's yeah. a, a point where that ever happens in the films, but he's just like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> I totally forgot to bring up in the Darth Maul one, we see like a force punch. It takes yeah. out like part of the tree bark. Yeah, I totally forgot. Oh, man, I wonder that was an interesting moment for sure. That's something that was around in Legends for a while. Mm. Uh, in uh, in fact, right now I'm even reading uh, this Legends book called Dawn of the Jedi. And in that book, the character has the ability to do things like force punch, like just straight up like. Well, like martial arts, you get wind. like a ball yeah. of chi in front of you so you can punch through things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, full on. So uh, anyway, that's the for seeing force powers in fan films are great. Because they always do something slightly different than you see in regular mm -hmm. film because they want to accentuate what it is. So they add these other effects or things that um, you wouldn't see in a traditional film or a Star Wars cartoon. I really, really was digging on that. Yeah. yeah. I also wanted to give TIE Fighter a, uh, an honorable mention oh. in here because it's, a, it's a, a unique take on it, right? All these other mm -hmm. ones are people trying to create a fan film where either they're a star or they have people in there. But this is an entirely animated film yeah. in the Star Wars universe and so it's a completely different take than we're used to seeing. Yeah. It's like a comic book come to life. It's beautiful. It and and it's as a fan of like Gundam and 80s era anime, it is completely digesting that. Like uh there's a there's a show um Mobile Suit Gundam uh 0083 um and it was sort of like one of the last major production that was all hand drawn and it's famous for being very very technical you see all the pistons move all the hydraulics move and that kind of stuff and so like when you see the engine startup sequence of this movie it is completely out of that and it is someone uh, a guy paul odeking basically working himself to death <laughs> to just 
make the most beautiful animation a single person alone can make. <laughs> so this is another one I had seen, uh, but I did discover today while searching that there was a remastered version, basically a version that was mm. brought out two years after the original that was edited with official sounds, both from uh, Battlefront, their library, and from Rogue One. Hmm. And so it's essentially the, the same animation and all that, but just updated with more official Star Wars sounds to make it even more unique. Because when this came out, this one, uh, as far as recent memory goes, really took internet for a day. You know, Star Wars Twitter yeah. was obsessed with it. It was everywhere. Uh, and the amount of effort that went into this one, when you think about the fact that yeah. this is homemade. Because when you watch it, this could be a show on Disney plus like that's yeah. how good the style is. That's yeah. how well done it is. Uh, that anyone could believe it was officially made by Lucasfilm. I feel like this yeah. is like if, if hero from Jiro dreams of sushi made <laughs> yes. anim an anime star Wars thing. It's like, that's it. It's like, it's hand rolled. He goes to the fish market in the morning to get the, <laughs> the right color palette and he's rolled and it makes it perfectly. And so, well, those are the fan Great. films. I also my my uh, favorite YouTuber that does anything uh, related to like the films and things is Patrick Willems. Okay. He did a video on the trailers and how Star Wars mm. uses trailers to manipulate emotion. And even just mm. thinking about it, it's and so like he's one of my favorite film based YouTubers. But he does a video specifically on the music used in the trailer of Star Wars as mm. they were ramping up, and he also predicted six months ago how the Rise of Skywalker would end because he watched all of J.J. Abrams' filmography and television shows and then figured out, like, here's all the threads of J.J. Abrams. I'm surprised I didn't send it to you guys when it came oh, out. okay. He, he went back and watched, like, Felicity and Lost. Like, he watched all of J.J. Abrams, everything J.J. Abrams ever made, and he was like, okay, so based on the way that J.J. Abrams tells stories and makes films, here's how Rise of Skywalker is going to go. And he was pretty damn close. And so <laughs> Patrick wow. Willems, okay. love that guy. And, okay. Uh, he's he's worth one checking out. He doesn't make fan films, but he makes other stupid. He made comments on that kind he of. He made yeah. the X Men Wes Anderson parody several oh. years ago. That oh, was his. That was his like spark one. moment. And now he that does video great. essays that I really like. So okay, well I know what I'm doing after this. So there's three fan films, three honorable mentions, and that's uh, I think that's a good wrap for our, our <laughs> yeah. section here. I I want to add just one last thing, just it. to remind people that definitely go see these films because one of the cool things about Star Wars is every fan film you've ever scene is thanks to this community of star Wars fans because they started making these movies. They were early out there. And the biggest thing that I think is something that the world is recognizing now was Lucasfilm in the early two thousands made official fan film awards. They encouraged the fans to go tell these stories, write these stories and create them. They made all the sound libraries and special effects sounds mm -hmm. and stuff available. Right. Didn't George yeah, Lucas do that it, at one it, point? It, it is a very forward thinking thing that created a lot of the world we live in now by legitimizing fandom as not just a cool thing, but as a, this is a great thing for our brand. This is what keeps Star Wars alive, keeps it in new generations and reaching more people. And we as the brand managers are going to support that in a way that was unprecedented at the time. You know, this is long before cease and desist orders. It was all just like, that's really cool. Can we show that at Star Wars Celebration? That's great. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I just want to say that, like, I think it's a great community and I think it's only it's only gotten better because mm -hmm. it's gotten so much easier to make and, and share. The world would be a better place if more people made stuff. Yeah. So That's watch it, true. enjoy it and make it. Well, there was only one thing missing from these films, and that was capes. 
<laughs> so since I didn't see a whole lot of cape action, let's talk about those next. You ready? Let's do it. Hey, I'm Donald Glover, and this is the Millennium Falcon. Come on, let me show you around. Ta-da! This is where the magic happens. So we got everything here. These pillows are made from actual Kajak hair. That's not easy to get. Listen to some tunes if I want to. But I think the coolest part of this entire ship is in here. The cape room. I got every cape, okay? I got an everyday cape, sister's wedding cape, intergalactic president's day cape. This is just if someone gets cold, cape. And I got everything you could probably ever ask for in here. It's pretty great. You don't want to touch any of this. All right, so this uh, section started out because uh, I run a YouTube channel about fashion and men's style, and mm -hmm. Ross said you should do something on Lando's capes. I was like, I could absolutely talk a lot about Lando's capes. And then we, we broadened <laughs> it. We broadened it to capes generally in the Star Wars universe because even as I dug into it and you and and you look further into it, you you realize, wow, there's like a lot of depth and a lot of information in here. And so, yeah, we can dive into Lando's capes a lot, but... There's also just the significance of wardrobe and fashion in Star Wars mm -hmm. is huge. You can tell a lot about a character, about the way they're dressed, how they, you know, everything is, is comes back to that in a big way. And there's a lot of signaling based on that. But Lando's capes are like when you think of cape in Star Wars, you think Lando. I don't think there's anybody that would argue with that. No. He... See, I just did. And then you were quick to point out that that's not the first cape we see, though. It's not the first cape, but when it's you think cape, it in is Star what I Wars, think. It is what I think. hundred yes. percent. Because Darth Vader's entire costume is very mysterious and dark, like, and the cape is integrated into there. That's not the first thing you think of Darth Vader. You think of the helmet. Yeah. When you think yeah. Lando, you think cape, and when you think cape, you probably think Lando. I agree. And so, I. Just thinking about capes as a as a point of style and as, you know, in the world generally, I want to talk about that. But then we were also discussing the difference between a cape and a cloak. Because what you yeah. don't find, you don't find Jedi ever wearing capes. Jedi always wear cloaks. And the way that that is, is distinguished is the cloak has the hood. Okay, cape, so the hood alone is basically what it is. No, no. Oh, okay. Uh, it's more complicated. Let's, okay. let's split that a little bit more. Okay. There's also the cowl. So the cowl is purely like the hood. And so actually Kylo Ren wears a cowl. And as I got, oh, okay. as I dug into this more, I was like, oh my God, this is so layered. Of course. <laughs> of course, it's Star Wars. So there's, there's capes, there's cloaks, and then there's cowls. The cowls are like the hybrid between the two, and you can get a character that's good or bad if they wear a cowl. But generally, if they wear a cape, they're usually a bad guy. And if they wear a cloak, they're a good guy. And that's who you get in the Jedi. So Obi-Wan always has a cloak. Luke always wears a cloak. Capes, you got Darth Vader. You got uh, Director Krennic. You've got mm. uh, Lando wears a cape. He's he's the one guy that's like, he always walks the line, right? Which is his character. It's yes. Like, yep. He could be the good yep. guy. He could be the bad guy. It depends on what he needs that day. And so that is an interesting like line to walk between those two. But then Boba Fett, he's got a cape. 
There is a uh, there is a little bit of cape action with Padme, which is interesting, but it's very minimal. Hmm. Are we talking episode two, that white outfit with the wrap? Yes, that's a cape. Yes, well that, but that also in, in incorporates a little bit of a cloak in there, and so okay. that's where they get into like, oh, maybe maybe it is or not, and so historically, like capes are the thing of like royalty. Like when you look back. And and we're not we're not talking the Star Wars universe, talking like in real life, like where <laughs> where this was human inspired history. from. Yes, in human yeah. in human history, in the in the, the current galaxy and present time, well, exactly. sort of recent time, the one that we're sitting in. Like when you look back in the, even in like the 1800s and the early 1900s, like capes were still a thing. If you were mm-hmm. dressed up and you were going out to like a nice dinner, it was black tie, white tie, and you had a cape on. Like dudes wore capes, mm-hmm. and it was sweet. And part of me hopes, like, you know, fashion is always cyclical. Like, bell bottoms came back and they went out and everything. Like, I think we could be on the cusp of capes. And I think that's what <laughs> the costume designers of Solo were really shooting for was like, look, if we do capes right in this movie, we might bring capes back. And, and, <laughs> and you see it in runway shows. And, like, and we talked about, like, the Oscars, like, yeah, the red carpet the Oscars had happened, some yeah. capes and things. And so we could be coming back to it. I don't know that it's it's dead forever the way that some fashion is. Well, at mm. least Mac and I know as people that aren't particularly fashionable that <laughs> if capes do come back, you will let us know and you will know early. Exactly. You you have your finger on the pulse of capes. Yes, I'm I'm on the cutting edge of that. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of historical significance to the reason that capes are even in Star Wars and that is because it it, it is generally associated with power and wealth. And there's a certain stature to a person who used to wear a cape, whether you look at the, the medieval century and the way mm. that robes and, and excess fabric was, was a way to signify that you were wealthy and you were powerful. Like, Oof. I have so much money, I'm just going to make fabric follow me that is very expensive. Yeah, you just have that <laughs> extra thing of, like you said, it's just, it's, it's, um, this blatant show of wealth of like you guys barely are wearing sackcloths. Look at this thing that I get to wear, and I don't even need it. Yeah, my my <laughs> excess fabric that follows me around my castle is as much as your little shack. So why don't <laughs> why don't you suck on that? Now, when someone has a cape, whether it's in the real world or Star Wars, uh, do they repair the edge of it, the part that drags on the ground? I mean, Star Wars capes, I guess, don't generally drag a whole lot. Right, they're more off the ground, but in traditional capes they'll typically hit the ground won't they oh, yeah. so do those get repaired or do they get replaced no you have your valet pick it up for you and yeah. carry it of course of so course that it so it doesn't yes. hit the raw ground yes, yes, yes see this is why that makes this sense. is why lando's a little sharper his is like more like kind of ends towards like the waist or yeah, like, like the, the joggers thigh. of a cape right yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> joggers of yeah cape. and I'm now real and, into joggers lately and so to slightly mix the universes and then we'll talk more detail yeah. in the in the uh, star wars universe one, I think one of the best like cape-related uh, pieces of media comes from Edna in The Incredibles when she says, <laughs> no capes. She goes, uh, what's his face? And he, she names off all these superheroes and shows how they all die. And she goes, capes are dumb. And that's why you don't have... And so that's like Brad Bird just being like a sharp guy and, like, and getting that stuff in there. And so in the Star Wars universe, as we talk about capes... Yeah. yeah. So uh, Lando specifically has a couple of variations... And it starts off, like, the first time we see him with a cape is in Empire Strikes Back. Okay. He has the blue, the beautiful blue cape mm-hmm. with the yeah. gold lining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he has a leather collar. Like, if you look, like, the costume, of course, Star Wars has amazing costume design, but he has this leather collar that, like, matches the shirt placket. So he has oh. the, the shirt placket 
that is very stylized, but the cape lining actually is the leather matching on there. And it's like, that's the only stuff you see in the despecialized 4K restoration. Uh, It's it's beautiful stuff. (laughs) Then in Return Return of the Jedi, so that's like a very formal thing too, right? Because he's he's running Cloud City. He's like the, the guy in charge. But then when you get to Return of the Jedi... He goes like slightly off and he has this waffle weave baby blue one, which is still pretty cool, but it's a much softer cape. And then he also has this like corded drawstring. Like you see it when he talks to Leia when they're Mm. like preparing for for the last battle. It's like he's got this corded drawstring, which is much more like royal. It, 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 Mm. It has this different aesthetic to it than it did when he was on Cloud City in this kind of formal setting. The new one is a little bit more casual, but it's also very royal. And so that is just like the way that I think they bring in and that Star Wars brings in this old world style to Mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. bring things in and signal like, all right, this guy is powerful. Yeah, it's almost more powerful in its simplicity. Yes. Like the one on Cloud City, the one in episode five is a little bit more opulent Mm -hmm. by comparison. But the the sort of more basic, um, not bland colors, I don't know. Well, it, but, it is uh, a little bit. I mean, because by the time you, I mean, it's, the, it's like a light tan and a light blue compared to the yes. the dark royal blue and gold. So it's well. By the I time you get to Return of the Jedi, it's also you understated, know, powerful through understatement, I guess. Well, in Return of the Jedi, he's also they found out about his little maneuver at the Battle of Tanev. He's a general, so he's wearing sort of a military uniform under that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think capes are general issue in the military for generals? Like, do you think? Any general can request a cape if they want in one. In Star Wars or in real yeah, life? Yeah, in Star Wars. <laughs> in Star Wars? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think so because He's... it's not really part of the uniform on the Rebellion. Yeah. It's. I think in the First mm. Order, if you become a general, they're like, all right, pick out your cape, buddy. But on huh. uh, in yeah. the Rebellion, they're, they're a little less formal, but you don't see them in capes. Yeah. Lando just can't. He's got to let everybody know. Right. That he's slightly above them when it comes to his fashion sense. Yes. And then, and so on this one, so the costume designer of Empire was John Mullow. Mm-hmm. So we can credit him with with a cape. I don't know. You know, Billy D. Williams, he could have been like, look, I'm, look, bro, I'm wearing a cape. He could have pulled his, He could be the original <laughs> Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson was like, I'm, I have a purple lightsaber. Yeah. And, and Billy D. could have been like, look, Lando wears a cape, man. <laughs> I like the ensemble, but where, where's the cape? Right. The, the what? You gotta have a cape. Well, yeah, they would have looked at him and go, you're right. Mm-hmm. They would have I'm just sorry, agreed sir. with him instantly. <laughs> like, yes. You know this character. That's one of my favorite. Okay, so so now as we get talking to Solo, yeah. get to Solo, because Solo, it's very important for the capes, and, and I love There's a whole cape room. We <laughs> see the cape room. Exactly. And so, but, but the bridge, though, so one of Donald Glover's uh, interview snippets, yes. I remember him saying is, you know, he went, he was, he grew up idolizing Billy D. Williams, who's yeah. the only, like, black character in Star Wars, and so it was a huge deal that he got to play Lando and he he had a lunch with Billy D. Williams and he was like, all right, so I'm thinking about this backstory and this is you know, the personality and Billy, and he said that Billy D. just said, just be cool, man. Like, <laughs> just be cool. And it was kind of crushing for Donald Glover because he was like, what? But then that was, that helped him to get in there. So that's great. So the costume designers of Solo are Glenn Dillon and Dave Crossman. And okay. there was a, there were, there were actually interviews specific to the costume design and capes that I found, <laughs> which was fascinating. That's awesome. And what they talked about is they were very specific about their design and inspiration. So they really wanted, they, they looked at, like musicians that were very popular in the 70s to then get inspiration for mm. the capes in Solo. And so they referenced Jimi Hendrix, Marvin Gaye, and James Brown. And there was one picture of Marvin Gaye that influenced their entire approach to the capes, which when you see it, 
you, when you see this picture of Marvin Gaye, you're like, oh, clearly that's what they had blown up to 100 point on their <laughs> on their wall, and they were like, everything we design has to be like this because it it is very like one of the one of the um, costumes that that Donald Glover wears as Lando and Solo is like is a direct copy of the Marvin Gaye one, which okay. I think it, it's it's very cool, and so. Uh, you can find a lot of information as you go through and just find out like they didn't just want Lando to have the capes in that movie. There's a lot of capes on every character. And yes. that's the one movie where the clear <laughs> defining line of cape bad guy, cloak or or cowl good guy is very mixed because mm. but once you know that, like then that's when you start to realize like, oh yeah, okay she is going to make the turn at the end because you see her wearing a cape earlier on. But there is <laughs> that's the movie where it's the most mixed. But uh, I did want to talk about, you know, the the almost ranking the the moments. Because there's, there's moments in the Star Wars franchise that the, the cape is integral to, or when you think of that moment, you think the cape on there. And then I want to rank some of the best capes okay. in Star Wars. And I gave you guys a list. All right. Were, I'm very much okay. in. So I've got my down. list here for sure. Okay. But first, first, I think I, I picked what I think are the three great cape moments in the Star Wars the franchise. The great cape moments. Okay. Yes. Okay. I didn't prep you guys with this one. We'll talk no, about- No, I love it. We'll talk I, about I, capes and characters, but I think these are the three- the three great moments. And then there's actually an honorable mention because I made this list before I saw Rise of Skywalker. We're, we're way out okay. of spoiler territory, right? Oh, yeah. In this show, we hey, real quick, everything. We're going to spoil some stuff. Go on. Okay. Spoiler horn. <laughs> All right. I, I, I didn't want to put this as the number one. Okay. I'll start with number three. Okay. Okay. I think Orson Krennic on, and I had to Google this to figure out what the planet was at okay. the beginning of Rogue One. Do you guys know the name? Is it Edu? No. No, wait. That's um, that's in the middle of the movie. That's the the very planet. first. The very first. Yeah, it's got. Uh, it's remember. two. It's two names, right? Yeah, it's two. It's like. All right, you get credit for that. It's La Mu, L A H M U. I had to, I had to a lot of do a lot of googling yeah. to find that because I was like, yeah. all right, I want to reference this. But when Orson Krennic walks up, rocking that cape, and he's <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, it's so good. And so, I think <laughs> out of all of them, it's like all of Lando's stuff. He doesn't have a great moment with a cape. Cape is part of his character, but these yeah, right. are these are moments related to that. But Orson Krennic on Lamu, so good in Rogue One. Kylo Ren on crate, yes. Right at, when he comes down and he's gonna battle Luke, he drops the cape and he's just like, "The gloves are off. I'm yep. coming after you." Yeah. I think that's one of the great moments. And then number one is Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back. He's telling Luke that he's his father, yes. and you've got the wind blowing. The cape is just, the cape is just going, uh, billowing, and, and, and it's, okay. just, it's so intense. So I think those are the three great cape moments. And with the qualifier, as we talked about before, Jedi wear cloaks. Right. So the scene where Obi-Wan drops the cloak right before he battles Anakin, I think that's yeah. an incredible moment, but it's not a cape. Right. Well, there is one other cape moment in that movie, though, that I thought was maybe going to make your list. So Grievous's cape in particular is great because you got oh, all the yeah. lightsaber pockets in it. Yes. It's also because he's so big and pointy that to see a cape kind of cloak him like that, cover him like that, is very neat. But when Obi-Wan surprises him on Utapau and he reaches all four arms in kind of across his chest holds the lightsabers and then sort of sh shrugs the cape off mm -hmm. and goes up to his full height. 
That's a pretty cool. I, I'm gonna. I want to make sure that one gets on a real yeah. mention too, because that's a good Kate moment. I feel like. Oh look, there are <laughs> amazing cloak moments too. Don't get me wrong, yeah. <laughs> but the Kate moments that and and what you see in those three things, all villains. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, funny thing is that you're mentioning about like telling character and stuff. Like I, I remember the first impression I had of Orson Krennic is in the original trailer. You see him. <laughs> It, with that big white cape and his like pris, you know, crisp uniform, walking across the beach of Seraph, and my one best friend was like, "I like this guy. You know, he's like really means business." I'm like, "Why? Because his cape is dragging in the sand, and you know he's not cleaning it." Mm-hmm. And they're just like, "Yeah, it's a really impractical piece of gear to be wearing around." And that's what makes you just remind of like, this is a guy who's above it all. This mm-hmm. is a guy who doesn't concern himself with that stuff. That's for other lesser people to deal with. Okay, but you're saying uh, that there's no function to it. Okay. Bit. There, so I did find, and you guys can, can confirm this for me, There, it is said that Dooku and Vader's cape, at least in the old canon, they had blaster-resistant weaves built into yeah. their cape. So they were functional for them, which I found really interesting because mm-hmm. the the reasons that you would have like a cloak or or a cape of some kind is to have like a, a shield, mm-hmm. a disguise, cloaks cloaks good for disguise, uh, and then to have some mystique around it as like a like a status yeah. symbol. But I yeah. found it interesting and there's I mean, it's never really mentioned in the films that there's any sort of like, you know, blaster resistant technology yeah. in, in the there's cape. no like James Bond Q moment where someone's going to Vader like, so here's what we did with the cape this time. You're right. going to love it. Yeah, but I mean, that makes sense. Star Wars has had a history of like materials like that because they're trying to keep this medieval, simplistic clothing style. Yeah. And a lot of times they, yeah, they, they're hand waving of like, well, yeah. well, Dooku's wearing a cape. Why? It's armor. Well, hey, Dooku, along with the House of Organa, is one of the only people of royalty we see in all of star wars That's true so he deserves a cape more than most to be mm-hmm. fair he's got he traditionally cape. would be wearing yeah, a cape the anyway. count of serrano wears a cape okay it's <laughs> right. just it's part of it um yeah i don't think i i've heard that about vader before i remember yeah. I, reading that in some guide who knows when but i had never heard that about dooku but yeah i don't think there's anything in current canon unless maybe it's in a comic i think it's in that gray area where it's not confirmed or denied in current canon yeah well i mean at the end of the day it's like every piece of armor and piece of gear in star wars if the story dictates that it saves you from the blaster shot or the lightsaber it will yeah and that's what it comes down to right man capes are rad Cape, sh- I couldn't pull off a cape, but cape should make a comeback. Oh, you could pull off a cape. I-, I feel like I'm more of a cloak guy. Yeah. Personally. Well, because you're a good guy. Oh, that's yeah. Fair. Now yeah. that you know the difference. That, uh, yeah. 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 Fair enough. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fascinating. Have you seen these that. cloaks that uh, Ben Solo and the Luke's apprentices are wearing in the new Kylo Ren comic that just you came t- out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are, I mean, Ben Solo looks good in a, in a cloak. Yes. Well, it's hard so, to tell in the picture. So it might be a thing, cape. I, I can't, it looks like it has a hood, but you don't see the hood up. It reminds me of so. like what we were just talking about with the Grievous, where basically it's a Jedi robe. The picture you sent me, it's a Jedi robe, but it's slung over their shoulders. Their arms aren't through any noticeable um, sleeves. So it's kind of like somehow either magnetically or whatever pinned to their shoulder plates. I like the idea yeah. of it being like well, magnetic. Well, that's what, and, and I don't know, you know, how accurate is a Disney costume for a four-year-old, but the way that the Kylo Ren, <laughs> the way that the Kylo Ren costume is, is constructed for my son, there's a, there's a cowl, mm-hmm. which then attaches to the shoulder and then the, the cape is separate 
And and that is how it does look in the films, is he's got the cowl that comes over, which is the hood, and then he can remove that but still have a cape, and then the cape can be separate from that. And yeah, because so, at the end of the think, film, he removes his cowl but still has his cape. Yeah. Right? And that makes sense, because, I mean, the one thing Adam Driver always said about his original turn as uh, Kylo Ren was like, well, how do you channel, like, hate and stuff of this character? I'm like... You wrap me in like a hundred layers of fabric and I get really mad because it's so stiff and hard to move in that thing. I'm like, oh, okay. So like mm. that is one of the more complex uh, like costumes they made, which is ironic because it has such a just kind of simple silhouette to it. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk the capes. Let's do it. Characters. Let's, let's, let's rank. We're ranking capes now. Is that the idea? I think you just, I, th- I was thinking we would do like a top five thing. Um, now, do you want to just list off the people that are on this list? Because I put together let's, some of the great capes. Yeah, let's let the audience know what we're what 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 pool we're playing with. Okay. Yeah, because you can't talk about capes and not talk about Boba Fett. Boba and that Fett. and that's a cape. That, that is, is a, cape. a cape. Like yeah. it's so tiny. <laughs> capes can be tiny. Capes yeah. don't have to cover both shoulders. Some people don't have to make up for for things that they're not fully developed. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. He's sure. only got a little extra garment to prove he's better than you. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we've got Boba Fett. We've got Lando. We've got Padme. We've got Grievous, Dooku, uh, Lord himself, Bail Organa, Orson Krennic, Phasma. Yeah. Current cape wear, mm-hmm. uh, Vader, and then we have Kylo with his uh, cow and cape. So I don't know. Do you? Do you I mean, how can you say it's not Vader? How can Vader not be the best cape? Plus, Vader not only has the cape, but he's got that cool waist cape. He's got like two capes. <laughs> he's got- what do you call? Do you know what you call that waist cape? I don't know. I. You know what? My research didn't take me that. He's deep. got so um, he's got like you well, know what I mean, right? Well, like what it basically got, is is um like a mini skirt. <sighs> yeah, I can't remember if it's a subo or it, it's it's a garment that comes out of uh, Japan, the multi layered yeah. kimono. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's only in episode four, right? Or something like didn't they take that away later? I, I see. I didn't research I this at all. This is all off my top of my head. Again, so his uniform, his, his well look is very samurai armor. Yeah. So it's that it's that multi like you know. Um, multi-folded covering garment that he that's why he had like like you said like extra capes and stuff gotcha. and extra uh fabric and eventually they kept as usually do with costume design is once you get it figured out then you say how can we simplify that <laughs> how can we give the actor more movement how can we make these more effectively okay uh so, so i guess what you're saying there is though what are we are we are we going to base this on the how intrinsic is this to the character that makes them better because they have a cape are we talking about just style like what is the one that we go like oh that's the cape i want to wear like you know what are the ground rules what are we defining what are we using to define best i think whatever criteria puts lando at the top because like it's 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 essential to the character i think the way that the cape enhances the character makes it a great cape yeah the cape isn't great on its own it's just a cape but the way the cape That's helps right. boost the character, so maybe Boba Fett's cape isn't that great because it's tiny and it doesn't really uh, doesn't really add. To Lando the makes the cape, mm-hmm. but we're only talking about these other people because the capes made them. Ooh, that's what it whoa. comes down that's to. That's deep thought. Lando knows how to wear it, and he should be number one in every iteration. Yeah. So then that begs the question: What is Lando's best cape? Oh, uh, yeah. I do he... like the royal one that he wears in Jedi. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I and Return of the Jedi. So my mind and always goes to the Episode Five one, just because I think that color 
Yeah, palette is is my favorite, but I don't know the yellow in Solo. He he looks. Good I was going to say, especially the one at the end where yeah. he's at the gambling table and he's got the Hawaiian style printed shirt and then the <laughs> cape that goes with that. I'll never oh. forget that trailer when they show the scene with the lightning when he's wearing the big coat, and I was like. I'm 100% in on this movie. I don't, <laughs> I don't care at all. Whatever he's doing right here, I Gambino want all of it. in a fur coat as Lando is like an energy I yeah. want all day, every day. Well, and I don't know if there's enough background, though, to to the audience that you and I, like, we were on Childish Gambino in, like, 2010, like, when the early, <laughs> yeah. the early stuff, like, that was a critical, an early part of our entire, like, my music, my, my development as a, my personal development into music and culture was yeah. largely had Childish Gambino in there and yep. then I introduced you to him to yep. you and so like the just the idea that he might play Lando and then the way that he did it like I don't I don't know why <laughs> Disney Plus hasn't made a Lando series come on guys like he he did it so well so he okay. was he was perfect. back to our back well, to our list and, and well I want to also point out that Kira should be on this list I, you because know what? I had her in Kira my notes. rocks a cape like no one else. I did have her in my notes, and I, I didn't put it on the list, so I'm a very sexist person. But uh, I think I think Lando, and then you can't... Darth Vader, the cape... There's never really a scene where he doesn't have the cape. Yeah. Right? It's pretty well, much... The the yeah. thing the no, thing about the cape is it. it makes his silhouette work. He's got this very yes. triangular storm... How, German stormtrooper scoop to his helmet, which call falls right to his shoulders, and then that cape finishes him out. So he's this yeah. big triangle, this big mountain of a person. There's not he's just this big black shadow coming at you at all times. I'm yeah. stuck on this. Does he ever not have the cape? So the only <laughs> when we see the helmet come down in Empire, he would have the cape on. Uh-huh. So the only mm-hmm. times we would see him without the cape would be when he's in the back to tank in Rogue One. That's true. Mm-hmm. And when he's Darth Vader before he loses his limbs, like Darth Vader on Mustafar. Yeah, that would be it, right? Yeah, we and actually, and actually, that's a good example of when, right when he turns to Darth Vader, he's still wearing a cloak Mm -hmm. before he goes full cape on that one. And actually, and actually, no, an honorable mention of the great cape moments is in Rogue One when he is going after when he's right after he goes through the the scene, (laughs) and then he's like going he's he's got his oh, fist up and he, yeah. he like just missed the death star plans uh-huh. and the wind is yes. blowing it's it's probably a callback to empire because he's you know he's got the he's fist still out. got that same yeah. kind of posture yeah yeah and so that is a great cape moment but yeah okay so number one is lando number two is is easily yeah Vader. we gotta yeah. give it to him i mean they're they're up there they're yeah they're coming out of the east and the west well these and, are characters that like imagine them without their capes seems wrong right <laughs> but and then to that yeah. point though i think i think grievous is pretty high because you do think of him with the cape and then yep. when business gets real he takes it off yeah. and it has functional utility to especially it. if does. you're a watcher of the clone wars you see a lot more of the cape as well and he gives uh, us such a big hunchbacked kind of yeah. form you know i was gonna say that about vader too i mean you see it more in grievous because he is hunchbacked in his design, but Vader, it also makes him look a little bit more Frankenstein-ish, I think, having the cape, because he, like you said, becomes a silhouette. We have this beautifully flowing thing next to this Frankenstein, stiff, walking and moving person. Yeah. Uh, Krennic, I mean, don't get me wrong, Krennic is great, but you're going to wear a white cape on, like, a beach planet because he's not going to clean that. He has I mean, people I, for I that. I get it, but it's just wasteful. Do you know what the Krennic Empire... made me think? Is the emperor picked the wrong man? Tark is not wearing a cape, right? 
Tarkin doesn't have time for frivolous things like capes. They're not frivolous. They might have blaster-resistive coatings in them. We don't know. Well, Tarkin died a hero. Chronic died a... A pansy. Yeah, I, I don't know what I didn't want. I, didn't, I don't know what he word to punked. use. Yeah, uh, I, I, the same way that we talk about the the character being integral or the cape being very much part of the character. Captain Phasma. I was gonna say, yeah, Captain Phasma definitely has that. It's like she rocks the cape. She rocks for the cape. Sure. Every scene she has it. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely part of her like silhouette and her character. And it's a great so I, I have my own fanboy love of Phasma. You're a big Especially fan, outside yeah. the movies where she's not a punk. Um, her armor's made of Palpatine's ship. I know. Yeah. But the cool Wait a thing minute, is I missed that. she her, oh, Yeah, her so for Phasma's <laughs> armor is fashioned out of you know the ships you see like the Queen going around and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. They uh, had a more of Royal those. Star Cruiser. So that chromium yeah. metal has been pounded into her armor. So she's walking around in Starship class armor. Yeah. It's why things <laughs> just bounce right off of her, whereas other stormtroopers just get. And her oh. chrome look is that's like her only accent outside of her gun, as far as like color. And of course, it's black with red, so that it's she's the standing, you know, walking embodiment of the First Order. Yeah. But it's also just showing again the first order is a classy joint because ah, stormtroopers. Who's the chief stormtrooper? This guy with this orange thing on his shoulder. No, no, no. no. Capes. We're gonna do capes. Okay, so we got four, and my list is admittedly very film heavy. Is there it's a, fine. is there an extended universe character that deserves some notable uh, some cape? Well, there's lots of cloaks. With other Jedi I was just saying, most of it's cloaks. Because um, one thing about it is a lot of the extended universe is going to be things that are animated. And one of the things about uh, Incredibles was Brian Bird was like, yeah, we're going to have this great diatribe about how capes are stupid and not practical for superheroes. Also, we don't really want to animate them. They're really hard. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to have only one guy with one, and then we're going to throw him through a jet engine. <laughs> um, so like our animated films, all the cloaks and all the capes are hemmed in a lot more they're a lot more uh, attached to things they don't flow as well yeah. because it's a lot harder to animate and rig that they definitely exist but i can't think of anyone who stands out i mean other than and he's on your list and he you see him in animated too i think he's worth the call out bail organa he rocks oh, yeah. a cape yeah like with he some does. distinguished style in the same in the same way as lando if anyone could embody capes before lando it was Bail Organa. I, I can see Bail Organa and Lando yeah. just going like, game, respect, game. And I just got to say again, Kira rocks a cape. Kira yeah, rocks a cape on Kessel. That's, I mean, nothing yeah. more to say about that. She just kills it. All right, so would you pick Kira or Bail Organa for the fifth? Because we got, oh, we got yeah. Boba Fett, we got Darth Vader, we Bail got Grievous. Bail only because you see him more. I, I want to pick Kira, but Bail just deserves to be there. He put in the work. He shows up at least in two movies in a cape. So <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but come back. Look, we'll do we'll do capes too in like three years after we have a Kira series on Disney Plus, and hopefully oh, there'll be too? some more. Yeah. I yes. hope oh, so. Oh, the honorable mention of so. great cape moments that I missed out yeah. on oh, yeah. because I was act I actively thought it while watching the movie <laughs> is the scene when Kylo Ren meets Rey on the Death Star ruins. He stands he stands oh. there with such a powerful stance, and the cape is flowing. And I remember thinking mm-hmm. to myself. That's an amazing cape shot. <laughs> when, <Yeah. laughs> when the wayfinder comes sliding across the floor and he puts his boot on uh-huh. it, you see the hem of his cape too, don't you? Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. Yes. Man. Yeah. Kylo's such a great character. I think this topic's been amazing because it's just like, oh my gosh, capes are so intrinsic to the visual mm-hmm. storytelling mm-hmm. of Star Wars. I like, 
I did not appreciate it until we researched yeah. and looked at well, it. Well, here I got a, well, I got a couple of thing notes on great cowl moments because we talked okay. about okay. we talked about Obi One. Yeah, yeah, we talked about Obi One. Uh, when Obi One fights Darth, Darth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, the Mustafar battle, Luke and Jabba's palace. That's like yep. you don't think of that moment when you yeah. when you think about Luke. He's got his hands kind of closed. Mm-hmm. You got the cape and cowl, and he's talking to Jabba the Hut. And then also a Luke moment. You can't think of the end of the Force Awakens when he like just takes his hand. Nobody can see my hands in the podcast, but he takes his <laughs> hands and he just brings the cape down. And it's yes. like, that is a cow moment for the ages yeah. right there. Yeah. And, all right. Having said that then too, at the end of the last Jedi, when he's meditating, floating above the rock oh, yes. and the cape is flowing. Wait, is that a cape or a cow? Now I'm so confused. We're, that's, a, that's a cloak. It's a, a cloak. Right, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yet face. That, oh. Wow. That's, Wow. Actually, my I notes don't are care anymore. That's no, you. Just, my notes are incomplete. I could just good. you just remind me one, and it, maybe it just stuck with me, uh, just because I think it was the first time we saw it. Was I'm also thinking of like Darth Maul on Coruscant, and just the first time we see him oh, turn, and he's got yeah. that hood covering him, and so you you haven't even seen the spikes on his head yet. Yeah, like exactly, he is unwrapped from that cloak oh, as the movie when goes he on. Takes his, when he takes the hood off on Naboo, yeah. Oh, there are so many. No one's ever going to look at a cape the same way again. I, I hope, hope not. not. Yeah, yeah, because this is this is amazing. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, my mind has been sufficiently blown. Um, in a couple more years when we have more capes in Star Wars, let's do this again, and I'll, I'll be more coherent next time. I'll have more thoughts okay. about capes. I had no idea all this was to come. Thank you for all the research, John. This has been great. Yeah. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, we've heard about capes. Next, I want to hear a little bit about John and your personal Star Wars story. So stick around. We're going to do that next. Star Wars is for everyone. Every day, we have the ability and opportunity to create a more accepting world by actively coming together and living inclusively. Whether it's the galaxy far, far away or right here at home, there's always a chance to do even small things to include other people. Let them know that they're loved. Just regardless of the differences we have between us, what makes us in common is far more important. Yeah, Star Wars loves and accepts all. And it's always been about that. And here we are in 2020, Star Wars more inclusive than ever. I can't tell you how many different people from different walks of life, different ability levels, different races, creeds, genders, that were all together at Star Wars Celebration to celebrate the things we love. Sometimes it feels like you're fighting against the Empire when you're trying to champion what's right. But remember, it takes all of us to fight an Empire. So join us and everyone else in the galaxy and learn how you can come together at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. (laughs) Oh, look, Artu. There's our large yellow bird friend. Hello, friend bird. Hi, C-3PO. Hi, little R2-D2. Pardon the intrusion, but you don't seem your normal, happy, bubbly bird-like self today. Is anything troubling you? Well, I don't know. It's just that today, I can't seem to get my numbers straight. I can't tell my one from a four, or a three from a two. I don't know what to do. An excellent suggestion, R2. We are computerized robots. We're experts in numbers, 
Perhaps we can help you with your numbers. Oh, would you? It really isn't difficult. You see, if it says one, you go. If it says two, you go. If it says three, then you go. And that's the way it's done. But what if it says 2,478,693? Oh, you just go. You see? If it says one, I go beep. Correct. If it says two, I go beep beep. And? If it says three, then I go beep beep beep. And that's the way it's done. Oh, isn't this fun, R2? Ah, uh, I think I got it. Thanks, C-3PO. Cha-cha-cha. Pardon? All right, so one of the biggest things that makes Star Wars so special is it's multi-generational. It's been passed from the original generation to those like me who lived through the dark times, to the prequel kids, to Clone War Wars, to Rebels, to the sequel trilogy, to whatever comes next. It's always growing. And one of the ways they do that is through procreation. Mm -hmm. John, as the only procreator in the room, you are raising Star Wars kids, right? Yes. It was, it was my dream to have some sort of like Star Wars fandom with my children, and I had no idea that I would succeed at such a massive scale, as, as I will describe. Because it's 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 a cool thing of like I've worked in childcare for a lot of my adult life, so I've seen like I remember kids getting really into Clone Wars when it first came out, and like working with them and going like, "Oh, it's cool that they're into this. They're buying like Captain Rex stuff." But like, it's got to be a whole different ball game when it's like, you know, um, when you're raising your own and you're like, okay. I, I'm going to be really disappointed if they're not into Star Wars, but I don't want to push it too hard mm -hmm. because then they're not going to like it because dad likes it too much. Like, yeah. how was it like getting getting your kids on board? So that's the balance that I was always concerned with because, like, my dad loved cars, mm -hmm. and I could not give about cars. <laughs> as much as I tried to, like, understand engines and pistons and v6s like none of it was interesting to me there mm -hmm. was a common thread with my dad and i that we both love technology and yeah. so my dad worked for ibm the reason we had a computer when i was really young is because he was very into that and so that mm. was like our common thread okay. i couldn't really get him to play video games he always complained that his eyes would get glassy like because he wouldn't blink <laughs> playing video games and so i was very conscious i was like with my own children i want to encourage the things that they like and if they happen if i happen to get star wars in there cool if not then you know it just is what encourage it is. encourage what they like that's fine because I don't want to I don't want to push something on there and so that being said <laughs> taking a very deep thought into the way that humans interact and engage with things and then reverse engineering that into my own <laughs> into like benefiting me for myself <laughs> that's great so maybe the reason I didn't like cars is my dad didn't introduce them enough early enough in my life that they didn't become ah. a common thread. I think about that a lot. We were just talking about that Titanic. Mm -hmm. I think if my parents, I was so obsessed with the Titanic. I had every book, the library, I would go to different <laughs> libraries in the city to get new Titanic books. Yeah. I, I don't know why I couldn't get enough of it. Like if my parents had encouraged me in that way, I would probably be some kind of marine biologist, like 
diving scuba dive. like i would probably be in that space because i was so into it but they didn't foster that and so thinking about that in the way to get then come back to it and say okay how do i get like how do i get my own children <laughs> to be interested in this in a way that's organic and exciting mm-hmm. cuz i also see it as a way to introduce entire new worlds through that lens so mm. one of the things i'm really excited about is uh, you know that that do you guys know that john williams the way that he released his music to local orchestras oh no this tell is us a, about this it. is exciting tell us oh about okay it. yeah so i i read i read this and i don't have the exact details so okay. the specifics i don't know john williams has licensed his music to like city-based symphonies, like the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra here in Pittsburgh, yeah, yeah, for like a hundred dollars, so that wow. they, it's it's a for whatever it is, it's an extremely low price based on what he should be charging for the royalties for his music, right? But he does that in order to allow local symphonies to put on shows to make money to support the symphonies, mm-hmm. which is wow. why you see primarily John Williams movies being the ones that are screened with the film. So. I took my son to see Home Alone. I've taken oh. him now to see the um, the we saw New Hope and we saw Empire, and I think they're doing Return of the Jedi this summer. Mm-hmm. But it's like using Star Wars as a vehicle to get him interested in classical music. Like yeah. I want to do that kind of thing, or using it as a way to get into product design because he is he is obsessed with stormtroopers. He can tell you <laughs> he can tell you by the helmet which generation of stormtrooper it is, and he oh, also man. is really into. You know the different types of clone troopers. Like he'll say, "Okay, this is a clone trooper, but this is a clone trooper that is in this type." Of, like he's he's very much into that. And so that's for me, that's the selfish way. Like I like, I've always loved Star Wars. I grew yeah. up loving Star Wars, and I want him to enjoy that. But then using the same way that I use Apple technology to dive further into other things, I wanted Star Wars to be a platform for that. So from a very early age, we actually have a picture when he was. I think three months old. Um, it's one of these little <laughs> Disney like uh, stuffed animals with a big head. It's a Kylo Ren, yeah. and he has a ray on the other side. And he's holding both of them, and he's Aww. just like laying, laying in a crib, and he's got both of them. He looks excited, and like we look at that picture now because he really likes Kylo Ren. And we're like, we started it very early. Yeah, and so the other thing too is, based on all research, you shouldn't have a screen in front of your children until they're two, based on their brain mm. development and like. So that was always a hard line for me is okay. I'm very into technology. I worked for Apple. I have an Apple tattoo, but <laughs> I didn't want technology to be a crutch in parenting. And so we didn't let them do any screens until they were two. But there are Star Wars books. There are Star Wars <laughs> toys. There are Star Wars. And so it was always a thing around the house. And that, and that was actually the way that we got him first into Toy Story. You read Toy Story books and okay. Lion King books. And so he was really into those worlds. And I held off Star Wars because I was like, I need to. You need to time it right. Mm-hmm. If you do it too early, <laughs> it might not stick. If you do it too late, it's too late. And so I was always very conscious of how he was paying attention to characters and story, and and the different aspects of the media that I was exposing him to yeah. to then get the right time. So he was really into Buzz Lightyear. He was really into Woody. He was very into uh, Simba and to Mufasa. Like he was very into those worlds. It, and it, like for some reason it's all Disney stuff. Like Disney, it's like I'm not I'm not pro Disney in any more sense than any other studio. But they have the best characters was, and things. Well, you're 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 casually making sure that the exposure is right, and you're finding books and and all kinds of things. And Disney it just will make sure to be Disney. That, 
everything you could possibly want, there's a version of that. So if you want books, we get tons of books. You got stuffed animals, we got all the stuffed animals. Like it's more of just Disney's just such a permeating part of our culture, especially as they gobble up Marvel and Star yeah. Wars and just become bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And it's been interesting too to see some of my friends with children that are a few years ahead of me. They're mm-hmm. very into the Marvel world. And it's like you can mm-hmm. see that that is just how powerful that's been for that generation and star wars is kind of like the older person's Mm -hmm. thing at this point which is interesting and so yeah i was always paying attention as i was exposing him to new characters and new properties like is he grasping what's going on does he get the characters and so then i was also very conscious of the the way that i would expose him to the films because i wanted him to have the aha moment of darth vader of course okay and I and I always and I always had in my mind he has to be about five, you know. It was like you got to be old enough to get it. But what I when I when I realized it was almost the right time is when he started to make the connections about family. Mm-hmm. Is he started to understand like this is because we have we have three. My son is four. My daughter's three. And my we have a three month old or a six month old daughter now. And he was like, okay, you are my dad. You are my mom. My mom is my grand. Like he started to connect all the dots, and I was like, yeah. okay, so he's understanding familiar relationships. He's understanding that if this happens in a story, this happens, and so that was when I was like, okay, now we can get into stuff. And then, <laughs> so the way that I like slow rolled it was doing some stories. He was the characters were always kind of around because he had pajamas with it on, and he had um, you know toys and things. But then I just started giving him like five minute clips of only the original trilogy. I also wanted it to just like there's such a, a discerning line in the technology that the films are and the way that they yeah. look. And so I, I also I took that a step further too is I only when I just when I first started to sh- expose him to screens and media, I only showed him pre-1970s musicals. We would watch oh, okay. we would watch the songs from like Singing in the Rain and from Wizard of Oz, we would only I would only show him very old stuff, and then I and then I started to get into like Snow White and Peter Pan, like original cell animation. I was very conscious that I wanted him to appreciate that. He kind of historically building him up. He, yes. He's kind of seen the ramp of history as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you start with Toy Story, everything else is going to look lame. That was yeah. That was my thought, and it's. So far, it's working out really well. I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing the same thing with video games, and so I'm I'm, I'm still got to wait a little bit on that because his hand eye coordination isn't quite there. And so it was all pre 1970s like musicals and 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 original cell animation. Like they loved 101 Dalmatians, oh, okay. as everybody does as a kid. You love 101 yeah. Dalmatians. And then we got into the 80s. We got into some other things, but that was still original cell animation. And it wasn't until after he had been very familiar with those that I then showed him the Toy Story movies. And I can never, I'll never forget when I showed him that Woody talked, like it blew <laughs> his freaking mind. He was like, wait, Woody can move and Buzz can move? And then that's what like really solidified his love of Buzz Lightyear was the opening scene of Toy Story 2, Star Wars homage. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like seeing him fly through space, he still loves that scene. And so that was when I knew, I was like, okay, now I can start to give him a little bit of Star Wars. And so yeah. I would show him... Uh, like early stuff from A New Hope. I showed him a few scenes from Empire Strikes Back, got him familiar with Yoda. Like he was pretty into Yoda for a while and like he loves Luke Skywalker. And then we did watch the full, the full New Hope was the first full movie he ever watched. Gotcha. And I think at that point he was 
three and a half, almost four. Okay. And he sat through the whole thing, which oh, I yeah. was impressed by because he he would sit through movies a lot more than my daughter would. But that was the first time where I was like, all right, he's like getting this. He's liking the characters. He likes the stormtroopers. He's not afraid of Vader. Like mm-hmm. things were good there. Which version of A New Hope did you show him? That's also that's also an important caveat is I only sh- he's only seen the despecialized editions uh, <laughs> that I have in like the, their full 4K beauty or the no beauty. Rontos for him right no. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah again it's the historical <laughs> overview when he's old enough yeah. when he's less right. of a youngling and he can right. he can see where well I know of people that just won't even like to the, in their household the prequels don't even exist and so I'm not that hardline of a Star Wars fan yeah. but. What's actually, and so I, I had mentioned this earlier, we have a mm-hmm. series of books that are like learning to read books that are Star Wars. Yeah. And so there's like six books in these two packs. And are these golden books? No, we have golden books, okay. but these are, it's like learning world something. They're, they're Disney Lucasfilm uh, books, but the, the 12 books we have, there's not a single, and they, they're storylines that do kind of span the movie. So the one that we have is like, uh, escape from Jabba the Hutt, and it starts an empire, and then it ends whenever you know they escape from Carbonite and everything. But there's not a single book and storyline that happens in the prequel trilogy, which I find very interesting. Mm. Huh. And so everything in those like twelve books is either I think it en- I think it ends with like Force Awakens because that's when they were published. But it's all yeah. original trilogy, and then a little bit like there's BB-8 and Ray and stuff mm-hmm. in there, but there's <laughs> not a single mention of Anakin, Padme, nothing. Uh, which I find Weird. very interesting. Yeah. Padme has really gotten the shaft lately uh, as far as content goes. Luckily, now we're starting to see in the last couple of years, she's had a book come out. She's got another book that's starring her. I mean, we're talking now more young adult level stuff, but she's. Uh, it, it's nice to well, see her have a comeback a little bit here now. Well, I have a note on that, too, because the other thing that I is important that I really appreciate about the Star Wars universe is the powerful... I would say female characters, but it's really Leia because Padme, <laughs> Padme just isn't really developed in the original trilogy, and you could point to a hundred you could yeah. point to a hundred reasons why that is. But like, especially like I have two daughters, and the fact that I can point to Carrie Fisher not as just a powerful woman in what she did in her entire life, but also he like we have a golden book which is I am a princess and it's all about Princess Leia. And I'm gonna get choked up just Aww. talking about it now, but it's like. It's. I think it's so important to have that reference in film, which is why I also appreciate Force Awakens because Ray is a powerful character in yes. there. As yeah. much as people give it for being a Mary Sue, it's like yeah. my daughter dresses up as Ray and loves Ray, and the yeah. fact that it's not just Leia that you have Ray and you have new characters that are coming mm-hmm. out. Kira's a bad like we now have a villain that's a, a or, or Phasma in the Golden Book. Where, yeah. In the Golden Book, we have about stormtroopers. It's like Captain Phasma is a woman commander in. Yep the first order and yeah. it's like that's important to me too and so yeah. using all of that to to really like help them understand and, and i think the nice thing is as the as the universe gets more mature it gets more diverse and so like you're saying that padme is not great in the prequels and, and you're right she's this she's this powerful senator but you're always seeing her in like damsel in distress stuff and i'm like that's where the extended material is great because in clone wars she's a very different character you really get to see her flesh out as this powerful senator who's trying to keep the galaxy together and stuff like um as more fingerprints get on star wars even these characters like i love phasma but phasma's not that great in the movies but she's got some great books and supplementary material that flesh her out mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. have have you shown your children uh the clone wars or rebels yet i'm holding on to those okay <laughs> i i remember i have the original animated clone wars mm-hmm. and 
I, there's there's a level of cartoon violence. It's 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 weird because my son is into the PJ Masks. I don't let him watch it because there's a level of cartoon violence that then he reacts to and then like perpetrates yeah. and, and, and things. And the Clone Wars is enough animated violence that you don't experience in the films. Mm -hmm. like yeah. The films are very mild, especially like for anything original. else that's like PG-13, especially the original trilogy. Uh, and that's why I loved, you know, so we watched the original, I ended up showing him the original trilogy recently. He was very, he did not like the last like 20 minutes of Revenge of the Sith. Like <laughs> that was a little, that was a little too intense for him. I can understand why. <laughs> he was very amped up for Rise of Skywalker. Cause he like, he wanted to know what's going to happen with Luke. What's going to happen with Le like, he was very into that. Oh, he's, awesome. he's very into the, the new trilogy storyline, which I really like, but he's also really into like Luke. I would say Kylo Ren's favorite character. And then it's Luke. It's like, those are his two <laughs> favorites easily. That's who always wants to play. He loves, <laughs> he loves Porgs. We got Porgs in the house. Yes. Yes. Porgs are a big deal. All right, all My right. daughter loves Porgs. And so, so that's a big one, but he was very into like the, we talked a lot about, you know, the rise of Skywalker's coming, this new movie. We're going to find out what happens to Kylo Ren and Ray after the battle. And just, just this week, I, I had sent you a message that he's now, he's very into the understanding of how the lightsabers move through the galaxy. So he wanted, he, he's putting together like, okay, Anakin had this lightsaber mm. and then <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi had it, who gave it to Luke. And then it went, how did Luke get, how did it get to Maz's castle? Mm -hmm. Like he's starting. And so using that frame as storytelling for, for them to understand all this stuff has been really fascinating. And then like, just to top it off because I like to watch the movies and like, and, and what I find fascinating too. So we're talking about Disney really yeah. owning this, uh, this like really owning childhoods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they've also perfectly. And, and I would be curious to hear more, because you guys are more in the toy side of things mm -hmm. uh, because they merchandise so well, we have, if you want to go get star Wars pajamas, you can spend $5, you can spend $15 or you can buy the $55 jammies that we buy at Hannah Anderson. There's varying levels wow. of quality. And, and like, that's how, that's how they're, they're so smart about merchandising. It is you can go to Kohl's and you can buy a $5 star Wars t-shirt. There's yeah. like a graphic tee or you can go to a better retailer that has nicer stuff and it's like more tastefully designed, but it's a $40 kids t-shirt. And yeah. like, and so they're going to get you at any price point, but you're always going to be repping Star Wars. <laughs> and I know they do that too with, because we have the lightsabers, we have like the $30 like light up ones from the Disney store. Yep. We also have the whip out ones that are like $5 at Target, or you can buy the black versions Right, the, yeah. like really high end yeah. ones, and then you can go to Galaxy's Edge and yeah. build one. It's like yep. they'll get you at every price point, uh -huh. and that's one of the ways. And like, did that start before Disney? Have they so, always had those tiers? I mean, Disney's always sort of done that. I'll, I'll just give an example of like yeah. how they have that baked in their DNA. When you look at their resorts like Disney World, yeah, oh yeah, there is every level of hotel. You, any family, if they plan it, can take a trip to Disney World. It is a relatively cheap ticket if you want it to be. If you stick to like the all-star hotels and you stick to the Disney meal plan for the more budget conscious where it's more like cafeteria food, you can do Disney relatively inexpensively. Relatively. You can <laughs> also want to throw out no, no, really but, emphasize I mean, when you relatively think of a, there. But when you think of taking a family vacation pretty much anywhere yeah. across states, like it's not that out of out of the way. It's not that different from taking a 
you know, a, like a beach vacation. Like a beach like vacation. If we were going to go yeah. to Ocean sure. City, like if we were going to take it a family to Ocean City, you'd probably be pretty close to if yeah. you went down there. But yeah. is that so? That's I know that's Disney though. But did, was Lucasfilm really good at that? Yeah, even from back in like the Kenner days. Yeah, the goal was to have things. So you had a single figure, then you had a playset, mm-hmm. then you had a small vehicle, then you had a medium vehicle, then you had a hero size vehicle. And then you had, uh, you know, single trading cards or you could buy a whole uh, pack of trading cards and then you had comics, but then you also had novels and, you you know, they kept expanding on things. But I mean, even with like the original Kenner toy line, you see it there. And then later on in more recent memories, right before Disney, you'd have, you know, three or four different price tiers just for action figures mm-hmm. from five all the way up to twenty five. Yeah. And so. I think in smaller segments of the market. I mean, use the example of lightsabers. It was it, like yeah. that before Disney. I mean, there were. Yeah, we we've had a for whole variety. I can remember back to like you know, Revenge of the Sith was coming out. You had the the cheap, it, probably from the same mold, um, like yeah. whip out lightsabers. You had the the kind of like electronic effects ones, which mm-hmm. you know had batteries would light up and stuff. They were still kind of the whip out, um, and then you would have. Master Replicas, which is the predecessor to Black Series, which was mm-hmm. for the adult collectors. Yeah. So yeah, you could spend five bucks, thirty bucks, or three hundred dollars on a lightsaber if you wanted to. My son calls them the flackout ones. The flackout. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the son of Banks. Yeah. Like yeah. So when will he get to build his own lightsaber? When are you taking your son to Batu to, <laughs> to to get that high price point saber? So I I always said I think this was even before I had kids. I said I was going to take my children i think it was before he was born i said it was to take my children to disney in 2023 because it's the it's the 100 year anniversary of the walt disney company Ooh. and he will be eight years old which to me is the perfect age i think if yeah. you there it's it's literally in bio like in uh in neurological studies children will forget most of what happens to them before five years old it becomes yep. part of their character and their identity and their personality and everything. Everything happens Shapes there. It's, it's still important, but their like pure memories are are almost disappear before five years old. So I've always thought that I want to take my son when he's about seven or eight years old. Uh, but my my wife has been very insistent recently that since Galaxy's Edge opened that I should take him like just for a weekend, like just he and I go. I'm like, well, if that's on the table, <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> but but the thing that so. We'll see if it happens this year. I don't Make know. Make that light impression so eight hits real hard. Yeah. <laughs> but it it's like it is it's it's purely a Disney thing that like the the thought of walking through Galaxy's Edge and seeing my son see a stormtrooper in, in real, real life, life is like I can't even handle thinking about it now. <laughs> I'd be a mess. <laughs> but it was also really important to me about the the order that I showed him the movies. Yeah. Not just for the like film way, but also the story. And so I'm uh I'm sure everybody's familiar with the machete order. Yep. This popularized Let's just throw it out there just so yeah. that anyone who's I think it's popularized by Patton Oswald, right? I would say so. I don't know if it was created by him. I, I think I, it's a I, that's when I became aware of it for yeah. sure. Yeah. So popularized by Patton Oswald. But it's basically uh you ignore the Phantom Menace. So like if you want to expose somebody to the optimal Star Wars order, it is a new hope. Mm-hmm. And then Empire Strikes Back. Then you jump back to Revenge of the Sith. So it's basically four, five, two, three, and then you go back to Jedi. Yep. Then you go back to six, 
and then from there, like you know, you can if you want to do Rogue One or if you want to do anything else. And then it's supplemental material from there. Yeah, Machete Order was really before this new trilogy. Yeah, uh, yeah. really came out, but it was, but it was really like, okay, how do you preserve the ultimate reveal of Darth Vader being the father? Because it's ruined if you watch it in in story order, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep. But if you keep it in release order, you kind of miss some of the stuff in the prequels, and so that's why. You know, the machete order is that. And so I never showed, I never talked about Darth Vader. He, my son would ask like Darth Vader, Luke and yeah. things, but I never told him the first time that he saw it was when we went to see the Pittsburgh Symphony perform From, it with oh. Empire Strikes Back. And that was the first time that he saw the whole movie. And, and when he said, I'm your father, he looked at me, he goes, Oh my God. Like he was, like, <laughs> he was shocked. And, and it's so like... I was very happy. I was able to preserve that. And it's tough though, because like toy story two has yep. a fake in it when they have, when Zerg is Buzz Lightyear's father. Like if you're really, really careful that you don't want to spoil anything like that, yeah. you, ha- you can't, you can't show them toy story two. It's well, it's such a cultural touchstone yeah. that it's, it's so hard to, it's so hard to avoid because like you said, it is perhaps in, you know, Western North American culture, like the most famous reveal of like pop culture. And that's why the machete cut exists is because they're like, hey, we want to preserve that. I mean, if you want to learn about who this guy was before he fell, that's good. But find out after you know that secret. And I just I love the idea of your son just sitting next to you, like almost like mirroring a little bit of Luke. Like, no, that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was. It, it really blew his mind. So, would you go back and do the same order now? Like, if you had to do it over again, would you show machete order? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's. I did. We did watch Phantom Menace, and that was definitely the one that he struggled the most to just sit down and watch it huh. because it is so slow. And he's no, not into political discourses at this age. Yeah, <laughs> and so that was that was one where I was like, we haven't revisited that one. We probably revisited The Force Awakens the most. Sure. Which okay. that is sure. the most like pure popcorn besides yeah besides a new hope, Force Awakens is very it's like it's mild not not very violent it's very fun it moves it's constantly moving yeah it's got a phonetic it's got a good pace, pace to today. it yeah they love Ray he loves Kylo Ren like Finn like they're they're very into all the characters and so I think that is what is missing with some with some of like the very diehard Star Wars fans is they don't have as much of a connection to the new one like for me. I'm just as invested in Ray, Finn, Poe, and Kylo as I am in Luke, Leia, yeah. and Han because we've watched it so much with 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 my kids and they're really into it. And but they also appreciate the original characters. Like my son, like I said, his second favorite is got to be Luke Skywalker, and so he's still really into those. And my mm-hmm. daughter, I, w- I would wonder if I would ask her. I mean, she's three. What? She, it's like <laughs> she, she's very much between Ray and Leia. Like she loves them both and. And like the one quote too that I always remember, I think I heard it on a Kevin Smith podcast. There was a woman who dressed as Leia in L.A. Mm-hmm. on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Right. She said what she told girls is, um, you know, she was born a princess, but she worked really hard to become a general. And it's like that's the kind of stuff that is really powerful oh, in the is... universe. And yeah, and mm-hmm. like a message and go mm-hmm. in there. And so like the fact that we got Phasma, that's a woman, and the fact that we got Leia who becomes a general. Uh, and it's still goofy that you got all the familial stuff, which is probably there's a lot of issues I have with the rise of Skywalker uh, <laughs> around <laughs> that. Yeah, <laughs> not to die, not to go off no, too tangent the right there. Spot. But it. that's but that's a good example. We talked about that earlier. Is um, is 
you know, in the first three movies, and and Mac, you've always talked about how much you've watched Return of the Jedi, like too many times. Yeah, they love that movie, <laughs> and they love Ewoks, and and it's the most, it is the most like romp and fun, good time of like a family movie. Yeah. And when we went to see Rise of Skywalker, I was the first time I saw it was with them, which I should have <laughs> went and saw it on my own, uh, just because I had to do a potty break in the middle of it. Not John, <laughs> but. but I I saw it again a second time, and when Palpatine's face melts off, I was like, I can't believe I brought my four year old, my three year old children to come watch this movie. Like this is this, this is, is graphic, yeah. And uh, and so that was that was the one. And it, now that I've I've been away from it for a few weeks, like I feel an itch to revisit it. I saw yeah. it, I saw it twice in the theaters, and like I feel this itch to revisit it because it is this, the same way that Force Awakens is very fun. Rise of Skywalker kind of has that. It's like. Yeah. My, when when my son saw the jet pack troopers come off the thing, yeah. like he looked at me in the theater and goes, he the same way <laughs> the same way that Poe said they fly now. He looked at me, and goes, "Daddy, they fly!" Like it was it was a huge moment, and so that that's the stuff that I get really excited about. And then on top of that, we watched The Mandalorian every Friday when okay. it dropped. They love they love. Okay, my daughter, <laughs> my daughter loves Jawas. When we watch, when okay. we watch uh, A New Hope, she, w- what I've connected now is my daughter's a little bit destructive and like a little bit, uh, like she's always like <laughs> figuring out how she can either like mess with my son or like hide toys and stuff. And so like she okay. is a Jawa to me. And I think that's why she likes him so much is she identifies with him. And when the scene where they had the, everybody has, everybody has watched The Mandalorian, the scene where. Yeah. They find the Jawas and they chase the Jawa Sandcrawler. They were losing oh their freaking minds. They they loved it so much, and of course they love Baby Yoda. Like the the scene, <laughs> my wife hasn't been watching it with us, but the scene where I think it's in like the sixth or seventh episode when he when Baby, do we just call him Baby Yoda? I know the it's not child Yoda. is the child like actual name, but the yeah, internet. the canonical name, yeah. the child. Yes, yes. When the child like jiggers <laughs> the. Uh, the stick and the whole ship shakes yeah. like they yeah. just want to watch they just want to watch that scene all the time because they love it and so that's, that's like so great. talking that about great, star yeah. wars as a whole and then the like the disney era and the way that they've expanded it and you guys have talked about that you always praise it for having yeah expanded it and built it and we're getting more star wars and you can ignore some of it and you can keep going on with whatever you want it's like that's that's what's been really cool is is having new characters that are that are not just like three white guys being the main yeah. ones and like having this diversity and, and having different story threads that you can really pull on. And I know, I think the clone wars is ending right now. Right. But it's not like they're not going to have another animated I mean, show. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's going to be so much more stuff coming. And so, so one thing that I want to to, well, actually a couple things in a couple <laughs> years when they've seen the clone wars and they've, you know, they've seen rebels and they've experienced all of star Wars. We'll have everyone on. We'll have the whole, yeah. we'll have a whole family day. We'll have everybody yeah. on to hear about it. But if you haven't, one thing, if you haven't explored it yet, show you know, take a look first, obviously, but check out Resistance because it is a little bit more of that safe, family-friendly entertainment mm-hmm. while still being in the Star Wars yeah, world. It's, it's less of a Star Wars and more of a Star race. Yeah, it's. I, I could see them liking it a lot. So if That's you good. if you're looking for something else. Yeah, that that might be a great place yeah, to start if you haven't considered younger. it because it does not get to the level of like 
<laughs> some of the and the nice thing about it, um, Resistance, it's very colorful. It's mostly around like this colony that's built around racing as this young Resistance guy is trying to figure out what the First Order is up to. So you see characters they'll be familiar with, like Phasma and um, Kylo Ren's in it. Kylo Ren, and yeah. it, it's kind of like what you're saying. Disney knows what they're doing and they're building that stratification of different entry points. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of older fans were like, Oh, resistance stinks. It's like, it's cause it's not really for us. It's not, yeah. it, it's, it's truly for kids. It's not like clone wars where it's like, it's for kids. But if you've watched anything about war in the real world, there's some deeper meanings <laughs> to some of the things the kids are, you know, flying over their head. Um, and it's, uh, it is great that um, Disney's, dedication to caring for their intellectual properties their their ip and making sure that it stays relevant is about growing and changing and so um it's it's kind of weird to me the one thing that i'm really touched on is like i got really into troops like i love troops when i was a kid when i found the essential guys about there's like scuba ones and then there's space ones and like all that specialized armor and the way that kids just love to categorize things and learn all the nitty-gritty details I relate a lot to that, but I think what's so cool is I'm like, and he's got a whole different slate he's looking at though when I was a kid. What, so there was a there was a point in time where so I I have like a, a Plex server that I manage all my own media for because I don't trust giant companies that their streaming rights and everything. But Fair. there was a point where I was gonna literally print cards of every single movie and just and almost make them have to experience uh, going to the rental store. And it's like <laughs> you get three movies each week. If you want to trade them in, like I was, I've, cool. I've thought very deeply about a lot of this stuff. <laughs> but when you mentioned the troops thing, like I don't think, and and this is this is like us old men talking about the the what the the old days. But yeah, the fact that I can go on YouTube and watch a fourteen minute video where Lucasfilm <laughs> breaks down the difference between every stormtrooper. Like he he loves that, and there's because they did them right around yeah. the rise of Skywalker. They did those videos where they're like every uh, every rebel ship in Star Wars, and every oh uh, yeah, there's shows like uh, Star Wars by the Numbers and stuff. Yeah, and, and things and like that. So they did. So he's really into Stormtroopers, and I was telling I was telling Ross the other day that like if if my daughter calls an ad a, a walker an ad at walker, he'll say no no. That's a gorilla walker. Or if <laughs> if somebody says a storm, like if my wife says, "Oh, that's a stormtrooper," he goes, "No, no, no, that's a clone trooper." Like he he corrects oh, the generations that's... based on what they are. And so I have to. I'm trying to help him be a little bit more gentle about it because he's he's kind of like, like no, <laughs> no one to raise to be like, well, actually, <laughs> the first time that ever happened, my wife was at the children's museum and she goes, "Oh, oh, John James, look at that bird," and he said. No, Mama, that's a blue heron, and I was like, uh. so, <laughs> it's, it's been in his that's nature. That's very good, but yeah, and so yes, yeah, so, but like he he specified. Well, this, this is where it backfired a little bit. Is somebody got him a mask for Christmas, a stormtrooper mask, uh-huh. and he looked at me, and goes, "Daddy, I wanted a first order stormtrooper mask. This is an Empire stormtrooper mask," and I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> and so there's a there's a part of you that's very proud, and there's a part of you that's like, all right, we got to work on some uh, some communication development here, and so. <laughs> But yeah, That's like the, the fact that we can go on and just and, and even the other day I found one where it broke down the engineering components of the Millennium Falcon yeah. and it broke apart this 3D model of all the different components. And now he has a Lego, he has a really small Lego Millennium Falcon and he'll name the components that we saw in there. Okay. And it's like and, and talking about getting using Star Wars as a springboard into classical music, it's like using Star Wars as a springboard to get into engineering. 
please. Like, <laughs> what? Like, I, I will absolutely do that. Like, if we can use Star Wars, like, you can count all the troopers and do math based on how many stormtroopers are in a scene. Let's oh, yeah. do that. And so that's that's huh. why I'm so into this universe, or that's why I'm so into getting him into the universe is to use it as a springboard for other things because it's way, you know, it's like I didn't care about school until I found design and technology, which was in college. And it's like if I had yeah. found something earlier to then to then do that, that's why I think it's important for for this. And then, you know, great storytelling, great movies, and it's a good it's a good family tradition. So yeah. you said your oldest is five. He's four. Four, gonna four, yeah. coming up on five, right? Yeah, September coming up here. Uh, three, and then six months. Yeah. So we'll check back in in a couple of years and hear how hear how this great experiment <laughs> is going. Yeah. Right. We'll we'll find out uh, progress reports. We're making our yeah, own version of boyhood yeah. here. Well, because yeah. the next stage is that uh, is is video games. His hand eye coordination is getting there. Right around when he was four years old, he could beat the very first. Sonic the Hedgehog level on Sega by himself. Ooh. That helped us. Video games helped him learn left and right. Like, no joke. Oh, sure, The yeah. reason he learned left and right is because I kept telling him right on Seg- on Sonic instead of left and then to jump. But I did show him the N64 uh, Naboo Racer game. Oh, yeah, So yeah. I did show him that, and he was really into it. And then there, I have another... There was a lot of N64 games right around yeah. when yeah. the when the prequels came out. That's kind yeah. of the heart of like Lucas Arts was like late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah. So my next, the next venture in this is to start him off with the earliest generation of video games and step him through there, because uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. He's just starting to get to the point where he can really coordinate what he's doing on the, on the controllers. <laughs> sure. And so, yeah, that's the next, the next stage. You got a whole plan. I'm very impressed. Yes, and that's, I'm a planner. Uh, it's great. Well, I think it's awesome to see um, we, we with this show we've we've tried our best to like you know highlight the idea of the growing galaxy and all the people that are coming in. And so, like I said, it's it's cool that people are being born into the galaxy, and um, yeah. like first order stormtroopers, we that's right, you know, get them early. We make sure <laughs> start the indoctrination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I like to see that that's going strong here too for you. Or as Tony Stark says, like Catholic bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, John, thank you for sharing your dad's stories and, and, and what it's like to be a Star Wars parent. It's a perspective that definitely, uh, I think, um, is great to have and to see. And, um, yeah, we, we will check in later and see where things are. Yeah, I hope um, people get some tips on uh, getting your kids into it. you got to start them young. Yeah. Let us know if uh, you try out any of John's uh, parenting tips as it relates to Star Wars. Let us know how that works out for you, please. All right. Uh, well, Mac... Yeah. Ready to hop on over to the end here? Let's close it down. All right. We're shutting down the power for the night. We have closed another chapter of Star Wars All In, and it's been great having you as a guest, John. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to come in and see the studio. It, 
it's great to have a guest here who does all the work, so I can just sit back and yeah. We relax. should say now that we're kind of you basically brought us a rundown and like a, a strategy for what you wanted. You did tons of research. And I emailed you notes two months ago. You it were was, and we were prepared. We were it prepared. Made our job so easy. Yeah, I uh, I and as as it was clear, I uh, took those notes from two months ago and I. Did all my research this morning. Uh, <laughs> so it worked out. No, to be fair, I did it before, but then I got sick and I felt like it needed to be done through a fresh set of eyes. Uh, I had a ton of fun. I learned things. I laughed. Yeah. I cried. I went on an emotional journey. It was just a great episode for me. Yeah, this is one of our best. I think we, we covered so much. Um, talking about Star Wars fashion, talking about Star Wars fan film, and talking about Star Wars families. It's uh, It's been a real good one here. Quite the journey on Star Wars All In today. Okay. Well, John, we just want to say thank you for being here with us. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say at this time about any of our other topics or just Star Wars in general? No, I think the only thing I didn't mention was I'm also using Star Wars as a platform to, to help him read through the books. Because they make ah. books that are like pre-K level reading where it's like very simple sentences, but okay. it is the characters. And so there's like... It's there's so much to to dive into that, and so we've also started some of the comics, and that's why mm. you know as I listen to a lot of the stuff, if you guys would cut out segments where it was just comic related stuff, because you'll integrate it into some of the you know you integrate yeah. the episodes and you have sections on it. Yeah, but that's what I find most fascinating is is trying to find the right entry point to the comics, and you had a, you had a couple of good recommendations on that recently, but mm-hmm. that's been a space that I haven't ever delved into, but now. We have a couple of them now, and he's like really into understanding. And even for me, like seeing the story between A New Hope and Empire when Han goes to goes and like finds his wife, the yeah. thing yeah, I was like, ex, yeah. I was reading that in just as much as suspense as my son. Yeah. And so, like, that's that's a whole new space that I'm excited to dive into. Yes, have you taken him to the comic book store yet? I know we just he's talked been about there. This the other day. Yeah, he's been there a few times, and that's where he picked a couple of awesome. the ones that we saw. Like, we went to Half Price Books, and then we, there's a comic book store near us that we went to. And I, I think I forgot to mention all of the original music he ever listened to is vinyl. We have a vinyl, okay, your kids' vinyl player, and we have all of the original Disney masterpiece like vinyls that we oh, found wow. at a record store. And so, like, yeah, that's I'm excited. To, the the comics I think is a, is a big help to then because like I, I hated reading as a kid. I, I still hate reading, and so I'm hoping to <laughs> overcome that earlier with him, and we can do that through through the lens of Star. One Wars. of the best videos you ever sent me was him learning to put the record on the record player himself when he was and like 18 months old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was wow. like. <laughs> like could kind of walk like could mostly walk and he was already had learned how to flip the record when the side ended yeah it oh, was that's cool else. so yeah. it's 22 minutes isn't enough like how to flip this dance yeah. yeah the record we wore out was the guardians of the galaxy uh oh. ultimate mix we had that on vinyl and we played like the, we played the crap out of that one yeah. <laughs> uga chaka was was on repeat i get it in the house i get it i get it well i'm glad you went vinyl and not cassette that's, that's just so cool drives me nuts yeah, that's right. Well, I appreciate coming on, guys. I listen, I listen to it all the time, and I know the guests. And I was always like, "Hey, I'm going to be one of those guests. That's cool." And here we are. We we originally had planned John for our season two debut. Yeah, and then winter sickness and storms you got, got us down. It wasn't we coronavirus? Make, yeah, anything, we weren't but... able to make it happen. So we are so happy that a couple months into the year, you were able to join us, and uh, we know we'll have you back for sure, Absolutely. and eventually the whole family too, right? Yeah. Listen, no. Listen, the despecialized edition Star Wars All In is uh it's got my name on <laughs> when we do it we I'm will playing be the flag. sure we, okay, we, have a, we okay we have a pretty good story about that too that we all experienced together yeah. about watching the despecialized edition together so we'll yeah. save that for then 
Yeah, we will. Oh, good yeah. tease. That's good a tease. good tease. By the way, I'm sorry. I don't know how far in the future that's going to be, but I promise we will get there. <laughs> we will get there. We will get there. Yeah. But for right now, we are done. We are going to go away now. So until next Wednesday, I'm Mac. I'm Ross. And until then, may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.